pockets ain't empty, cuz. Yeah, and we ain't podcasting no more either, bruh. Oh, wow. Wow. You didn't want to use the Oasis line? <laughs> I mean, that's a good line. I just like, I like, uh, I, I will it, say. It, it, it's a, it, you're, you're, what we did, just did for the listener who maybe hasn't watched the movie in a while was the, it, the closing exchange. The of final the film. exchange. Yes. Yes. It's the, it's the big send off. Uh, you might as well end on a freeze fa- frame and then like, it you know, really feels like it's about the entertainer to. planes. It, do- right. it does. It <laughs> yes. actually does. It actually it's, does it's feel like it's about to freeze disorienting that frame. it doesn't end on a freeze frame. Um, but I feel like that's one of the, the lingering sort of like, uh, uh, cultural imprints of this movie in particular in the franchise is how much. Uh, the character of Roman Pierce is played by Tyrese is defined by his uh, endless hunger. <laughs> he is hungry. He's hungry. He keeps <laughs> saying that he's hungry. But yeah. um, at the time of, of this episode coming out, this will be coming out just a few days before F9 is released in theaters. F9 colon the fast saga. Uh, I have at the time of this recording seen the film. He's seen it, folks. I I haven't seen it. Not to pull rank, friend of the podcast, uh, Richard Ehrlich invited me to a critic screening. I have Richard seen it. Ehrlich? Jesus Christ, David Ehrlich. That's his name. Who's Richard Ehrlich? It, I don't, some combo film critic man. Lawson and Ehrlich together as one. David Lawson and Richard Ehrlich? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, Ehrlich it, it took me to a screening uh, very kindly. I've seen the film. I'm not going to spoil any of it on this episode, but just an element that jumped out to me uh, while watching the movie, but especially while rewatching this one for today. It's fast. That's, what... that's one thing. And if I had to and add furious. a second, that's the second thing. But yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the beautiful things about the Fast and Furious franchise is that anything that feels like it was abandoned can at any point in time come back and be the most important <laughs> thing, right? Right. Any character. Yep. You would not believe how much screen time is spent on Roman Pierce's hunger in F9. A thing okay. that is okay. not really tracked for the seven movies in between. Six movies in between. I know two of those he's not in. Without spoiling. Yes. Is there much else in Too Fast? Like you were just watching Too Fast that, that, that you know, has any bearing on F9? This this movie is pretty far away from F9. No, obviously. but this is why I'm starting the conversation this way. In terms of like textual things, Roman Pierce's hunger is probably the only thread in this one that really pops up in nine. Sure, sure. But I do think there are things this movie does that have really set the stage for what the series has become not just obviously the introduction of characters, but tone, expansion of the world, certain things that feel like. Uh, I, I feel like this is often regarded as the worst of the franchise. And I think Unfairly. it's, it's reputation has grown as the franchise has evolved more to match the tone of this movie. That that and the fact that no longer does it seem ridiculous that there was a Fast and Furious movie starring Paul Walker and Tyrese. Right. Whereas at the time it felt like Ah, well, this is like a knockoff. They didn't get Vin. They just got like, you know, Tyrese to kind of like try and carry his luggage or whatever. You know, like, it, I don't know. It felt chintzy then. Yeah. And now it doesn't because you're like, well, Roman Pierce, crucial character. I mean, what do you, you know, Tej Cole, you know, these are crucial characters. Yes. Tej Parker, not Tej Cole. Uh, yeah, please. Jesus Christ. Jesus. 
Although, although I think we'll talk about it at length. These two characters bear almost zero Very resemblance little. to the characters who reintroduced themselves in five and have evolved so far past even who they were in five that at this point they could just be uh, identical twins to those characters, right? You could just be like... Oh, this is my my brother with a very different personality and skill set. <laughs> right. Uh, yes, I I think it is interesting in the context of this show that we do a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. Uh, and it's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion products they want. And sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce, baby. Mm-hmm. And this is a mini series on the films of John Singleton. It's called Pods in the Cast. And a thing that is, I, I feel like oftentimes forgotten is that he did, in fact, direct the movie Too Fast, Too Furious. And I bring this up because despite this film being a huge hit, big, massive hit, because I think everyone was like, well, Vin's gone. There's going to be a step down. It'll still be successful. There's going to be a step down. It pretty much did the same numbers as the first movie and I think even did better overseas. This was the beginning of the franchise starting to like chalk up overseas numbers. Uh, uh, it, it both uh, kind of ground Singleton's career to a halt. It really kind of dinged him that it was like, oh, he's like some for hire guy now who's doing like the shitty Fast and Furious sequel. And it like kind of ground the Fast and Furious franchise to a halt where they were like, Okay, we made one without Vin. It was successful. We can't get away with that again. Make one for $20 million with no actors carried over, you know, with, like, teenagers in Tokyo. Like, just turn this into, like, The Sting 2, you know? Yeah. It it felt like it was kind of ending everything. Um, Introduce our guest. Interesting to consider. Yeah. Yeah. No. Very interesting to consider. But let's bring our guest in. I think he has things to say. The movie is called Too Fast, Too Furious. I- An iconic title. An iconic. Well, title. we're going to spend fifteen minutes talking about that alone. I was reluctant to introduce our guest because I'm surprised he has been able to sit patiently this entire time. <laughs> I was waiting for him to burst through the conversation, yeah. Kool Aid Man style, at any moment. I. You know, I'm trying to change it up a little i'm trying to respect the wow connoisseurs of context and let you do your bullshit up top <laughs> wow well our guest today of course is the number one fuck boy you know him from the high and mighty podcast where i have gone to talk about the last three four fast and furious movies i think we did a hobbs and shaw and a fast seven and an eight i think maybe? yeah i think we did seven eight hobbs and shaw Yes. I think we did actually. I think we did Hobbs and Shaw eight, and then an episode earlier on where we just talked about family. And how much right, <laughs> right. Yes, we did an episode that was like for the whole franchise, right? Yeah, right. yeah. But it was sort of just us crying about the idea of this franchise. <laughs> uh, John Gabris, ladies and gentlemen, finally uh, gets to come uh, return the favor and talk about Fast Furious on our show. Uh, oh. So thrilling. I didn't even know it was a Singleton series. I thought it was a Fast and Furious series. I thought it was like an, ah, this is so exciting. I'm pissed that I'm here for Too Fast and Furious and not Abduction, though. Really? Hey, look, (laughs) Abduction, you would not believe the fight for people who wanted to guess on the Abduction episode. I'm just a Taylor Lautner head, man. Jacob the Werewolf, man. I've loved him since day one. Right, and Abduction was like day four, but yes. Right. (laughs) 
Day four, also the final day for fucking. Yeah. Sadly, the final day for old Tay. Yeah. Uh, on our Patreon, we're doing the Twilight movies right now as a franchise, simultaneous with doing Singleton on main feed. Oh. And that's... and it, it it's interesting that those two things coalesce with. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Lautner is the linchpin. <laughs> right. At the end of the Twilight franchise, Taylor Lautner finally gets his action movie, which ends up being John Singleton's last movie. And then Singleton dies and Taylor Lautner kind of disappears from the face it's, of the earth. It's weird. It's right? crazy. Like you yeah. would not expect these two things to overlap. And that not only did they collide, but they sort of like it was a fatal collision. <laughs> yes, it was a fatal collision. <laughs> Jesus, I'm looking at the cast for abduction, and I'm sorry, yeah. I know we're going to talk about that in a couple, but like Sigourney Weaver, yeah, Alfred Molina, <laughs> Jason yeah. Isaacs, this thing yeah. is overflowing. It's crazy that it's not good. Like it's yeah. insane that it's not good. <laughs> well, but it's, the only problem is I don't know what it's about at all at all do i like i don't know even the barest concept for abduction i just know taylor lautner's in it oh i've seen it i think i saw it in the theater okay i think i know what it's about can you tell me whether i'm right or not i'm sure it's is it a is is it about that he was i'm not asking you you haven't seen it david i'm asking right, I was gabriel say, i was like yeah. I probably can sort of scan the wikipedia entry <laughs> gabriel am i correct in remembering that it is about a kid who realizes through finding like a missing child listing that he was stolen and who he has thought were his parents his whole life are in oh, fact the people who abducted him. It's a face on the milk carton situation. Right? Yes. Is it, that's he sees what it his is? own yeah. childhood photo. Mm. I feel like he's got like insane training. Like he was like, you know, like one of those like. Right programmed at a young age kids right like it's that. it's like a it's a partial hannah kind of thing right yes yes it's in but that but then it's, it's in that also wheelhouse. a born identity like who am i really where did i come from let me find out my identity kind yeah, of it, it yeah it feels like born junior yeah <laughs> like <laughs> i'm a kid instead of being like i the, the pilot i sold to abc like eight years ago was fat born like that was pretty much <laughs> the premise was like what if a fat guy ended up re- having crazy ass badass stuff and they were like oh and i was like and i've got just the fat guy and they were like you know nick frost I was like, oh. <laughs> nope <laughs> oh you know okay so you don't even see me yet okay see you later <laughs> um I, well, I gotta say abduction sounds good so I'm yeah. excited. <laughs> I kind of like that that premise. That's fine. Yeah, that's kind of a fun premise. That's, that's one of those movies that you watch and then eight years later find out John Singleton directed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where you're like, yes. I saw Definitely. that dumb shit. And it's like, oh, did you? That always happens with like some of your favorite directors. You're like, they have this one kind of movie that you saw was shitty didn't realize it was a De Palma movie and now you're like and now you retroactively like wait one of my favorite directors made this shit movie well we've been talking about this I mean leading up to this point in in all of our episodes so far but I feel like uh every movie up until this point in Singleton's career was at least like half sold on it's a john singleton movie like his name was as big as whoever the star of the film was very often he was trying to mint a new star and even like boys in the hood as a debut none of those actors are really known it's as much the narrative of like this kid he's like 22 can you believe it and this felt like the first time where singleton was just kind of hired to make a movie yeah and that's true for the rest of them and 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 this is his second franchise he's taken yeah. on shaft but that was like can you believe fucking john singleton's doing shaft as opposed to wait john singleton directed too fast too furious like it was hidden i will say 
putting it, I haven't watched Too Fast in a long, long time. And I remember being like, uh, it's kind of whack. I watched Fast One and then yeah. Too Fast in prep for this. Uh, and yes, same. Yeah. I. It's one of those cases. And now I know we're talking about a bunch of shit at the same time here, but abduction as well. I definitely want to rewatch because we talk about this a lot on Action Boys, but Fast One and Fast Too Fast are, we didn't know how good we had it with like blockbuster movies. Yes. And I remember being like, this is whack and corny. And then watching it now being like, I just love how many insane choices that everyone in this movie is making. And now it just doesn't feel like they make movies. And I'll even go. And I I didn't realize it was a Singleton movie until I sat down to watch it. Or maybe we were texting about it. You're like, Yeah. yeah, it's the John Singleton one. And I was like, Oh fuck. And then watching it, I was like, and maybe I'm just, you know, as a child of the 80s and 90s, conflating John Singleton with black actors and black content. But mm-hmm. I thought that this one felt like a little bit like a John Singleton movie. I mean, I think Somehow it does. He, he throws his flair on top of like a franchise that has 50% of the franchise that was built in the first movie. And it's definitely because he puts baby boy in as like the, yes, like, yes. like that definitely helps it send it in the singleton direction right. that he cast Tyrese, but, but still. But this is the wildest thing I've read. So I had always thought it was that, right? That he gets hired on to uh, do a Fast and Furious sequel. And he brings Tyrese with him, but it's the right. other way around. Right. It was uh, uh, what Stacy Snyder, who was the head of Universal at the time, really liked baby boy. He was like, that was like of all the executives and studio heads in Hollywood, none of them even watched Baby Boy. And I remember that Stacey Snyder was the one who like asked for a private screening. And then she called me afterwards and was like, Tyrese, this guy's amazing. And was like, I want to make him a movie star. So then she calls him whatever it is, because Baby Boy comes out the same like within a month of the first Fast and Furious movie is a thing we realized in the box office game, which is just wild to consider that it's like, holy shit, he's getting creamed at the box office by I think it was the second week of Fast and Furious is the first week that Baby Boy is out. I believe that's what it is. Oh, cool. And it's it's like he can just see his career leaving, right? Like, oh, that's the last time they're going to let you make a personal character driven $20 million studio drama that comes out in the middle of the summer because he just sees <laughs> like fucking Vin Diesel doing donuts around him at the box office. Right. And it's yeah. like, that's your future. That's what you're doing from here on out. Um, they, uh, well, we'll dig into this more, but, uh, they, Stacy Snyder called John Singleton and was like, Vin Diesel's not doing the Fast and Furious sequel. We need the new person to be the buddy with Paul Walker. Would you recommend Tyrese? Do you think he could do that? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. Like, endorse him fully. And then they were like, would you have any interest in directing that? And then he was like, yeah, sure. But it was that order. That's fucking wild. I had no idea. Yeah, they called him for, like, the the endorsement of Tyrese and then said, like, if you want to direct it, we we would have you do that. That's so fucking awesome. And... I, I the text I sent you guys after watching this, uh, and I Tej and fucking Roman, yeah, they I you don't know it at the time, but it's like I'm gonna do this franchise. They fucking dropped Vin Diesel. It's weird, wild. Who knows? I'll do it. Fun. Okay, decent. Uh the third movie, 
We're not even invited to it. Fuck. Right. Who knows what the fuck this is? Four, then- they're not invited. Four, <laughs> they're not invited. And it's like, yeah. well, okay, I guess they've rebooted it with the original people. No place for me anymore. Yeah. And then in the fifth movie, like yeah. however many, 10 years after the, this movie comes out, eight years after this movie comes out, they are all brought back into what will be the most lucrative film career of their lives. Like, Yes. No, I mean, not only that, but you look at their filmographies and like they barely do anything other than these movies now they do one of these movies every two years and probably get like a quick five million dollars right yeah and like then like countless god god knows what like promotional right things right like they they launch a a liquor or every slice of the fucking mcdonald's cup with your picture on it right Right, and also just like the amount of times they they fucking get paid to open up a nightclub or whatever you know (laughs) and they both have their music careers but it's like like they both we we should come and they're definitely equal yes <laughs> absolutely both of them are equal in the recording artist category yes. for sure i forgot tyrese uh tyrese was on the mass singer this year i forgot about that he was robo pine he was robo pine the robot yes. porcupine um <laughs> they both had like pretty fertile no clarification careers. needed by the way when you said robo pine i knew you yeah. meant robotic porcupine that was a waste of time and energy I'm sorry um, i apologize <laughs> They both had, like, pretty fertile and diverse movie careers between Too Fast and Fast Five. Yeah. And then it's like, now we're just company men for the Fast and Furious franchise. Like, that's our paid vacation. These movies take a year to film, whatever. But the other wild thing is, I don't know if you know this, Gabrus. So the the basic gestation of this movie is, you know, this is like this weird programmer movie for Universal, right? Like, why not make this little thing? The, the genesis of Fast and Furious as a franchise in the first place is uh, Rob Cohen had done The Skulls with Paul Walker. Right. That was like a decent hit. With Pacey too, right? Yeah, kind yes. of at the tail end of the teen thriller boom of the late 90s, right? But Paul Walker's had that run up until that point of like She's All That and yep. Pleasantville and Varsity Blues where he's playing like the asshole, the rival, the pompous jerk, the like the the dummy, whatever. Yeah, it's like he he's a very, very pretty man. He's just this yeah. sort of shockingly like Greek statue kind of guy where you're like, who is this guy? And he has this, like, kind of casual winning surfer energy, you know, even if he's kind of flat as an actor. His best stuff, I would argue, the early point of his career is when he played comedic. Like, he's very good in Pleasantville. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Like, he's really in on that, and he's, like, totally uh, tapped in comedically. When you ask him to play naturalistic at this point in his career, he is incredibly wooden. But he is undeniably just a watchable dude and just so handsome that for a studio they're just like yeah we gotta make this guy like you know a 20 million dollar like an under budget movie star like this could be a guy who makes three of these a year for us and is just like a decent young heartthrob so it's it's funny that he's a young attractive wooden heartthrob who's (laughs) big break uh wooden heartthrob (laughs) give me your wooden heartthrob asap (laughs) he uh the fact that he kind of popped in a Point Break ripoff, yeah, which is where a wooden, handsome actor also popped off for the well, first time. I mean, I wonder. I find. I, I guess what I, my my hypothesis I'm pitching is Keanu and uh, and and uh, Mr. Walker have a sort of. I think Keanu succeeds a little more, but yeah. I think they have that similar energy of like. 
I don't know if this guy's doing the right thing here, but it's compelling. But I also <laughs> think there's something where it's like Keanu was so in the pocket on like the Bill and Ted movies. And then when he started to go dramatic outside of like my own private Idaho at the beginning, people were like out of your depth, out of your depth, go back. And he like wedged right, his way right. through until he proved himself as an action star and all that shit that people thought he would never be able to sell himself as. Like Paul Walker's first leading role is Meet the Deedles, which is very much poor man's Bill and Ted. I've never seen yeah. Meet the Deedles, but right, it's kind of Bill and Ted. Yeah. Fun and right. he's yeah, good yeah, yeah. in it. Yeah, like it's once again, he was good at playing comedic dumb. When they asked him to play serious, he got a little too dry. Right. In Pleasantville, he's so perfect playing essentially a half of a person. Right. He's playing like a handsome, you know, sitcom character who is like, uh, what's happening to me? Like, he's good right. at that. He's really good at that. He was good and she's all that. He's right, when villain. he's playing he's like the, the totally right, contemptible, yeah. right, like punchable fucking jerk. Like, he's good in that zone. Then Skulls is a hit, and Universal is like, Paul Walker could probably be a leading man, right? Like, he did all these supporting antagonist parts. He's done a couple two-handers now. He could probably be a leading man. So they go to him, and they're like, Paul, we want to build a movie around you. And I don't remember if it was they had already optioned the article or he found the article, but I think it was a New York Magazine article about underground street race and culture. Rob Cohen had found the article... Uh, and they, yes. And they're like, so we've got this, we've got, you know, and, and they're like, we'll do point break with cars. Like it's the easiest pitch. Right. But here's the big thing, which you got to give Paul Walker credit for. Paul Walker says to them, I fundamentally don't think I can carry a movie. I think I'm better as a counterpoint to someone, make it a two hander. Right. And of course we all know who they wanted. Their number one choice, Timothy Oliphant. No. What? Yep. <laughs> As d- <laughs> yes. They were like, these are the two guys who are about to pop. Make a vehicle for Oliphant and Walker. And he, and Oliphant had just done Gone in 60 Seconds and was like, nah, man, I don't want to do another car movie. No, thank you. <laughs> and Neil Moritz was like, what about Vin Diesel? His name is Diesel. Like, yeah. I don't know if he said that last part. He should have. It definitely <laughs> he probably should have. <laughs> Holy shit. Whoever said, how about Vin Diesel ended up accidentally setting... A fucking series of events that would make millions upon bi- billions of dollars. <laughs> Billi- for billions people. and billions of dollars. Yes. <laughs> well, it's like I think that their pitch black probably comes out during a weekend right after Oliphant passes. Like the timeline must have been like, yes, it has oh, to be that tight. Oh, I just saw a pitch black. Right. And this guy is fucking weird. And right. And those movies are both universal. It's like right around the time they're in pre-production on Fast and Furious. They must have gone like, I don't know. That guy is compelling. And that just had a big, robust eight million dollar opening weekend. Yeah. Maybe this guy could carry like, you know, a B movie. Um, Fuck. And not only can he he could fucking revolutionize a B movie. (laughs) Now, now this is the other thing I want to say is that. Last year, uh, I, I uh, took part of um, uh, this, this Scripts Gone Wild, uh, which is a bunch of guys who do like uh, readings of famous screenplays. Uh, I think they used to do them live and now in the last year did them mostly over Zoom for charity and stuff. So I did their Fast and Furious reading and played uh, Brian. And they had some very late version of the script like it seemed like a shooting script but it was so different from what ends up in the actual first movie in a way that makes me feel like vin 
kind of rolled up his sleeves and started like rewriting scenes on the fly every day on the set of that movie. That's what he claims, right? Like, I mean, we, you know, he's like, I was the yes. one who who gave Dom like his street cred. Yeah, because I'll say like that draft had like eight names on it, including David Ayer. It is loaded with racial slurs, which cool. like feels like a real Ayer pass. Which, yeah, like, the language has to be authentic. It's like it doesn't need to be this authentic. Um, it was like it's amazing how many racial slurs directed at every single protected group there are in that film. But um, but also just like there's there's a lack of certain specificity. They're, they're sort of like they, they they hadn't latched on to what the fundamental humanity and the ethos of the respective characters are. Letty is like garbage in that draft. The whole thing is that she sleeps with Brian and she becomes like the person they fight over. And Rodriguez was like, I'm not going to do it if I'm like the woman between them right. to like yeah. make the sister jealous and also piss off the guy. And I think Vin supported her. So, like, that thing was, like, totally rewritten on set, it seems. I don't like, think anyone would want to fuck Dom's girl. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll make, him, we'll make her Dom's sister. Nobody fucks Dom's sister. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but that's the energy we need you to have in the movie. Right. But nobody fucks my sister. Yeah, okay, yeah. Vin, but this is an actor <laughs> cast to play your sister. You got, you're, you're aware we're not asking your sister. We're not asking Tina Diesel to show up to set. <laughs> <sighs> Tina Diesel. So Vin kind of like fundamentally transforms the movie, right? And then uh, people are like, oh, this movie's like tracking big. It might open to like $15 million. It opens to $40 million. It's one of the <laughs> biggest hits of the year. It becomes like culture defining. And immediately, like Vin Diesel is the guy who has the the burst that people thought Paul Walker was going to have, where it's just like, get this guy in anything. He's and, the huge breakout of that movie. Right. And honestly, Michelle Rodriguez is the second breakout. Yes. And Walker, it, everyone is like, yeah, Walker, sure, fine. He, he yeah. did his job in that movie. <laughs> like, they, there was no popping for him. The next movie he does is this movie. He doesn't, yeah, I, he's not gonna, doesn't get anything off of this. Is that like one of Michelle Rodriguez's first big roles? It's Girl Fight 2, Fast and Furious. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah, that's the leap. It's like, oh, she was in a good Sundance movie. Let's let's get her for this thing. Like, yeah. The other movie he does off of this is that Richard Donner timeline yes. movie. Yeah, which was like right. one of those things that they barely acknowledged they made. And yeah. then after that, <laughs> he had Into the Blue with Jessica Alba, the diver movie. Running Scared. Yeah, Running Scared is good. Running Scared's good, and that's his first like good dramatic performance, I would argue. He's yeah, good. Yeah, he's that. like solid in that. Yeah, that's a totally that's a good solid thriller. God, I haven't seen that in forever. I gotta I gotta get into that. It, obviously there's Eight Below, uh, which I right. have not seen. Griffin, it feels like you've seen that. Have you seen yeah, Eight Below? I think I have, but I, mm. I always I, I maybe have it. It's one you of confuse it with Snow Dogs, obviously. I confuse it with Snow Dogs, but I also feel like sometimes I'm like, I've seen that movie, and then I start watching it, and I'm like, I've never seen this. I just built up a detailed enough version in my head of what I imagined it is, you know? Oh, I, I have the opposite frequently where I'm like, I've never seen this movie, and I'm watching like a weird 80s or 70s movie, yeah. and then there's like 
uh, female nudity. And I'm like, nope, I've seen this movie. I remember <laughs> only this part from when I was like 11 for some reason. <laughs> like your brain is just so, my yeah. brain is so heterosexual and broken that it's like, I've never seen the howl. <gasps> no, I remember the campfire sex scene. Okay, I've seen this movie. I've, I've, seen, this I've movie. seen parts of this movie many times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I had, this was on a compilation I owned. Yeah. <laughs> um, that might we had in the neighborhood to share. <laughs> I'm looking at, Walker now. I'm just looking at him. I, flags of our fathers. Right. Is he good in that? He's he doesn't no. have much to do it. No that. one's good in that movie. No one is good in that movie. That movie's just kind of it's just kind of boring. I yeah. I, I gotta rewatch it though. Uh yeah. The Lazarus Project. I mean, it really he's dead at a certain point. I mean, no, R.I.P. Paul Walker. <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, he's yes, he's dead, definitely but... dead at a certain point. <laughs> well, Dr. Yes. Sims. Yeah. Dr. Sims reporting for duty. I'd, I'd say from 2014 <laughs> on. Oh boy, poor guy. <laughs> but the real death is when your acting career dies. Yes, absolutely. The first death. Uh he was in that weird zone where it's like, oh, here's a guy who's been in some big hit movies. He's like very handsome. He gets to play the lead in movies. Some of them are hits, some of them are flops, but neither one feels like any reflection on him. You know, where it's like yeah. like sure. Eight Below was a hit and Timeline was a flop, and neither one necessarily hurt or helped his career. It was just like if you need some generic guy to put at the center of your thing, he can do that. He was in takers which is like a movie that like nominally did well but yeah. like no one knows that he was no one really remembers that like everything before fast five or fast and furious i guess everything before that mm -hmm. and after too fast too furious he's like clearly just the fifth guy that was called and he shows up and he does his work and no one's no one's you know yeah, you're packing the streets to cheer about it, but like whatever. Like, yes. I don't know. That's the best you could say about Paul Walker in the 2000s. The, the main quartet was so out until Ampersand. Like, that's the fascinating thing about this franchise is that like all of them were like. I mean, there's that young Hollywood Vanity Fair cover where both Jordana Brewster and Paul Walker are on it the year before this. And everyone was like, okay, Michelle Rodriguez, Vin Diesel, they're the next two action stars. And both of them sort of like wipe out. It really was like at the moment that Ampersand happens, a, a real salvation for all four of them. They fast track a sequel immediately right after that first weekend. And yes. Vin already is in his I'm the mastermind of my whole career. I have the plan. I know what I'm doing kind of thing. So they're like sequel. And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> Rob Cohen has already been in development on Triple X, which they didn't have an actor for at that point in time, over at Sony Arrival Studios. So then I think he tries to lure Vin Diesel over to that. So they know Vin Diesel's flirting with that. They come up with two treatments for the Fast and Furious sequel, one of which has Dom in it and is the continuation of the Dom and Brian movie. And they also simultaneously develop another one, knowing there's a good chance that Vin's going to pass. And the other one they develop is just, it could be almost any crime movie, like, you know, undercover cop movie just with cars in it. Right. It's a premise that if Paul Walker didn't return, you could still do. It's yeah, like, exactly. do <laughs> Miami Vice with some cars in it, right? Yeah, like, that's really right. what this premise is. Um, and that's, that is, to be fair, I think the version with him in it still had a lot of elements of this. It was still like, Paul Walker's still a cop. He has to go undercover again. Dom would be in the Roman Pierce role, but it was like trying to bust a, a crime lord, a sleazebag like this. And Vin's objection, they offered him $25 million to do that this. That is sequel. a lot of money. Wow. Yes. 
Yeah. I think he got 20 for triple X. Mm-hmm. So it was like they had to one up. What do we all think of triple X? The first triple X. Not a fan. Not a fan. It's a bad I, movie. I rewatched it a year ago. It's a movie that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, it's gross. It's kind of a skeevy movie. Obviously, Rob Cohen movie. turned out to essentially be a sex criminal. Right. I mean, um, it's like it's like a fucking uh, surge commercial. Yes. You know what I mean? Like it's like it. It's like the energy. I I love extreme sports, but like the extreme energy shit is like like I don't, I'm not here for that. And so Triple X doesn't land on me that well. It's it's that it's like a very inauthentic representation of extreme sports culture combined with what feels like a too authentic representation of Eastern European sex rings. Like that's right. yes, yes. Yeah, that's what bums me out about it. And like and I I think Vin is pretty bad in it. He's just kind of like kind of yeah. on autopilot in it. He's just you know, Xander Cage does not really have uh, uh much of a defined personality i guess no and i i fucking love uh return of xander cage where i feel like he finally figures out who that character that movie is silly it's so good and even like state of the union is fun in that way but that becomes like the fatal folly where it's like okay so he does fast and furious it's a huge hit they go franchise he goes no thank you i'm making a new thing he does triple x it's a huge hit they go franchise. He goes, no, thank you. I'm going back to Riddick. And he takes all the goodwill from both of those, puts it on Riddick, craps out. But that just shows you Vin Diesel is the master of his own. He's like, nah, this nerdy shit is more important to me. Now, there's a, there's an interview that Vin did uh, a couple of years ago where they asked him about if he regrets the turning down too fast, too furious decision. And he said, like, I was definitely too cocky at that point in time. Like, I was, like, feeling too big for my britches. But I also, I probably should have taken the money and done it. Like, I probably should have done it for the fans. It probably would have been the smart thing for my career. But he was like, fundamentally, the script was stupid. And it didn't feel like a continuation of the Fast and Furious story. It felt like, here's just another movie with cops and cars, which he's right about. He is right. Like, that is a fair assessment. And he was ahead of the curve where he was like, this is a saga. It's about the relationship with these two men. And they were probably giving him, like, jerk-off hand signals and going, like, like, take the paycheck. Dude, 25 million, just shut the fuck up. And he's like, family is the core. And people are like, what are you talking about? He's like, I will join the PGA and come back and fix this. It's like, okay, (laughs) friend. Oh, my God, he's really doing it. The insane (laughs) thing of him being proven so right about this. But so this movie is them just being like, fuck off this guy. We don't need him. Don't overthink it. Paul Walker, fine. And then like Tyrese, that's a new movie star. With Tyrese, we can rope John Singleton into doing this. He's a higher class filmmaker than Rob Cohen. And it's given like a prime summer release and is a hit and people kind of hate it. And it almost ends the franchise. I mean, the question is, if say this movie is just a direct sequel and it stars Vin Diesel, do we have Fast 9 now? Like, no. Would, or would no. it be more of a thing like where they're like, it did well and then they do three and it does less well and it kind of peters out in a more normal way versus the weird comeback narrative the franchise kind of Correct. got to construct. Right. Correct. I, I think there's something about the fact that the franchise... The meta-narrative around the franchise right. kind right. of builds it up. It was so down and out. All of the actors were down and out. Like, <laughs> everyone had something to prove. Yeah. I, yeah. I, think, I think they could have made this same movie where it is 
you know, he gets called in to break up this ring and he goes, the only person I'm working with is Dominic Toretto. And it's Vin with the Dom character in this same dynamic. And people would have gone to see it. It would have been an even bigger hit than this was, but it would have been diminishing returns. Creatively, it would have taken the bloom off the rose versus when they come back with four and people are like, fuck, they're in the same movie again. I've been waiting 10 years for that. You know, right. The nostalgia. That there was right. nostalgia for it that no one, I think, really, well, some people, Vin Diesel among them, probably did. The only one? But a lot of people yeah. didn't, really. <laughs> and there was a, a, a Twitter thread recently from a guy who worked, I believe, as a development executive at Universal who was talking about the weird circuitous path to Ampersand getting made because after Tokyo Drift, they were like, let's just do these direct-to-video. Like, they were ready to turn Fast and Furious into Jarhead. And be like, every year we'll do Fast and Furious 7, and it will just be in a new foreign city where there's a tax incentive. And we will get, like, TV stars who will do anything to play the lead in a direct-to-DVD movie. Jarhead is one of those movies where you're like, Jarhead, Frank Grillo, and Bruce Willis are making movies every two months, and (laughs) they are all on streaming. Like... Frank Grillo is in so many movies. Frank Grillo is in so many movies. So many and, movies. And, it's, and it's so weird considering that Jarhead is this very moody movie about how going to war is actually super boring and nothing happens and you go insane. And then they yeah. made a bunch of sequels that's like, yeah, it's tough in the suck. Get those guys. Boom, 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 boom. And they just like, you know, they're just war movies, I assume, right? Yeah, it's, they just became action movies. Scott Atkins yeah. and... Right, right they're yeah. Scott Atkins movies. I think one of them's called like Jarhead Circle of Fire or something. <laughs> like <laughs> Field, Field of Fire. Field, Field of, of Fire. fire. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who's the yeah. other one who's in a lot of them? Oh, Gabriel Macht, I think is in a couple of them oh that guy absolutely the gabriel Macht is like a replacement level action star he just kind of looks like a movie star enough if you squint this is what i'm talking about like universal that's the same studio right it's it could have so easily gone that way and they would have just been like well the the relationship that jarhead five has to the first jarhead is the relationship that fast and furious five will have to the first fast and furious just put any two people in a city with cars it doesn't have to be about fucking anything established in the first movie. Um, Vin stood his ground and was like, if you're not like continuing the Toretto family saga, I'm out. And uh, yes, I, I agree with you. If, if the franchise would have stopped dead, I think, after this one, they probably if this was a hit. They would have priced themselves out. They would have made a third probably without both of them returning. Or they would have made a third after a bunch of negotiations and it would have, you know, I don't know. I just think people, and it would have been okay and like, right. And the other thing is that the Tokyo Drift lets Justin Lin sneak into the franchise and be one of its most important. Anyway, that's Fast and Furious talk. You know that, and it's yeah. crucial. But Too Fast, Too Furious kind of has nothing to do with any of this. Yeah, very true. No, it, That's it, what's it, sort of funny about it. Like they borrow stuff out of it for the later. You know, but like it's not like they're making it being like we really need Tej in this because he's going to be crucial as the computer guy for five more of these movies later. Like, you know, no, no one's I thinking mean, this, that. This is one of those sequels that's like ostensibly more like like Teen Wolf 2. Like this old model of make, making sequels where the first movie's a hit and you're like, and in the sequel, it happens to a different guy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Same thing, different town. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, yeah. Where else do they drive cars? Uh, I heard Miami? Okay, let's go. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, let's go. Yeah. Right. And like the the genius stroke of uh, Tokyo Drift is that they bring the whole kind of like karate kid teen sports movie right. into the mix. But that was basically how that was conceived. Um, this becomes this sort of uh, incorrect uh, takeaway from what worked in the first movie. Although they clearly wanted to have Vin, obviously. But, like, I guess this is a franchise about the continuing adventures of an undercover cop who is friends with criminals and infiltrates car rings. Yeah, he's a former street racer turned cop. And now in this movie, former cop yes. turned informant or Correct. something like I, I don't. <laughs> right, that's the weird thing that he's, he's on not the a run. cop in this one either, which is so funny. He's like so removed from. Yeah, they have to reference the last movie so frequently and yes. too fast. It's almost like you guys are leaning. I understand it's a sequel, but if you're like, is that why you gave the guy at the end of the last movie an escape? <laughs> it's like okay, okay, yes. Stop referring to the last movie like it just. Other stuff has happened in all these characters' relationships, but they're talking about like the last movie ended, and it was like, Paul, we got another mission for you, Brian or Brian, whatever the fuck your name, whatever. But what. he's not a narc. That's what they're <laughs> trying to make sure that everybody knows. He's not a narc anymore. Yeah, he's no longer because that has to be like he can't be a rat anymore, and it's like, yeah. oh, okay. So in this movie, he sort of gets his rep washed by Roman. He's no longer a fucking a cab. He's no longer a pig. <laughs> but but it's also this weird thing where it's like they're sort of trying to make him like a. Yeah. David, was that you? Yes, my my phone made a noise. Ignore it. No idea. I know the I know the noise your phone made. It was Devin Aoki. Your phone That's just right. said Devin Aoki's name. I googled Devin Aoki uh, because I wanted to check something, and it said her name. Wow. <laughs> yep. Um, the thing I was gonna say is that they're sort of trying to make like Brian O'Connor the like John McClane, where it's like, well, he's like sort of a cop, but maybe he's off duty. He doesn't want to be doing this. But they're also making him way cooler that he actually like knew a bunch of cool guys. But I, I don't yeah. know. They they retcon they retcon. This is like a a, a, a trope of the franchise mm -hmm. is just retconning people's past to make it even ma like. Dominic Toretto is the perfect example where it's like, he also has a brother. Uh, yeah, and no, they none of them look alike. Right. No, they're all three different ethnicities. <laughs> they're all they're, different. There is an incredible line in F9 where they go like, that mixed up Toretto gene pull. Like, someone yeah. does acknowledge. Like, so you're Brazilian, you're Italian. <laughs> Just don't don't even bother. Don't, don't, they, they shouldn't have even thrown something in, but whatever, I guess. You know, it's one one offhand line. Someone says it dismissively, like that mixed up Toretto gene yeah. pull. Whatever's in there. In, in Fast One, you get a little bit of Brian's history that he was like a streetcar guy before right. getting this, like, which makes sense because it's not a skill set a lot of cops have. And then in this one, they get even more retconning to his past where it's like, he, he's got more crimes listed. He's more of a badass yeah. than we ever mentioned. We don't even give him any credit for his cop time. But then it's like he also used to roll with this guy who's very much like Dominic Toretto, 
doesn't ever bring him up in fast one of like you know i had a friend who was uh, a non-white dude who i ended who up becoming bald. pretty tight with <laughs> right. exactly. like this exact <laughs> same dynamic like this yeah, kind yeah, of back exactly. and forth <laughs> yeah that's the thing it's like i do think the pitch that they presented to vin diesel had to have been very similar to what this movie ended up being just with the rewrites to bring in a new character right. and try to tailor make something a little bit to Tyrese. That's basically the pitch of later movies where it's like, well, how could they possibly get away with, you know, they, 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 right. you know, they're on the run, but it's like, yeah, but there's this one job that only they can do. And the government right. just has <laughs> to bring them in. That's just the pitch. Every time mission impossible plays that game too, oh, where yeah. every movie it's oh, like, yeah. we're officially out of the IMF. It's yeah. like, again, <laughs> I don't join again. You guys should be freelancers. Yeah. <laughs> just go do something else. Work at, yeah. Work at a coffee shop, whatever. It's just, it's, Funny to me that it's like the thrilling uh, thing that the first Fast and Furious leaves you with is Brian letting Dom get away, right? Yes. And the note of ambiguity, that the ending is not neat, that he gives Dom the car, that Dom drives off, and Brian's just kind of standing there in the middle of the road as the cops begin to like surround him and you don't know like what decision this guy's made how he's gonna explain it has he like turned his back on the law like you know it it, the one thing you know is that the brotherhood transcends everything else of course it does i love the end (laughs) of point break but the end of point break obviously patrick swayze crime pays and and he dies and you know that's the end it's a conclusive and brilliantly obviously they're like well we can't kill dom everyone loves dom you know we dom can't go to jail dom's got to hit the road he's got to drive to cuba if fast one wanted to follow point break even more it'd be really funny at paul like brian's like here dom Gives him the keys. Dom drives away and immediately crashes in the car. Blows <laughs> just, up. Just spins out. <laughs> immediately incinerates himself. I think we're gonna say drives into the ocean. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Drives yeah, into yeah. the fifty years. <laughs> Laughing. Lose something, brah. <laughs> <laughs> but like that. That ending is the juice to then have it be like, okay, Brian has now gone full time underground street racing. But this opening of the movie is kind of a, a canard. They're giving you the one classic Fast and Furious street racing set piece at the beginning, and then immediately the cops find him, and they're like, okay, stop being in a Fast and Furious movie. Come back and be a cop. Hey, buddy. It does also feel like they're like, yeah, you're not Vin Diesel, okay? Like, I get that you (laughs) just won a street race against fucking Devin Aoki and and, uh, what's his pants from Prison Break? Omri Nolasco. Michael Ealy. Michael Ealy, right. Right, but they're like, but the audience doesn't (laughs) like watching you. You win. Yeah, okay, you're not going to do so that for far a this whole go. movie. Please. Yeah. Um, but yes, that moment when you know they want to team him up with the fucking uh, uh, dumbhead with the uh, pizza, with the pizza parlor right. soda cup. Yeah, with right. the friggin' cargo pants. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, "You can't like put me there with a stiff shirt. I need someone who knows their shit." That feels like. The movie saying, oh, my God, he's got to bring Dominic Toretto back. And then he's like, here's some guy you've never heard of before. (laughs) Like like the movie, the the script is exactly, oh, I got just the guy. And in the one version of the script, it's like, cut to Toretto's garage. And this version is like, 
Cut to demolition derby and a hungry person is driving. <laughs> it would be funny if it cut to like him call he calls Dom and Dom's like, No, I I know. I'm okay. I'm on the run right now. I don't want to go right. to Miami. And he's like, Okay, okay, okay. I'll call Roman. He's good. He's like he's still like eighty percent of you. It's it's fine. It's fine. Brian's like, look, the FBI's willing to pay you twenty five million dollars <laughs> right. for one mission. I'm, I'm in Bulgaria. <laughs> I'm, I'm solving extreme sports crimes. <laughs> Also, the the idea that Dom did get a call to do this Miami mission, he's like, I I really can't be fucking with that. I am I'm super. I I'm in a, a lot of other shit right now, yeah. and he's just Dominic Toretto living in like other Vin Diesel movies. Like, yeah, I just can't be there. Right, I'll be. Uh, and then he hears uh, Roman goes in. It's like, well, we just cleared Roman's uh, history from him doing the mission, and Vin's like. Motherfucker, I should have done the fucking Miami mission. They would have. Now I'm stuck never... babysitting some government officials' kids. He, he, <laughs> he did. He did become the pacifier. What? What? Just two years later? Yes. Oh my god. You, you're a Vin, three years later. You're a Vin Diesel yeah. expert, Griff. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Does he ever yes. talk about that in his sort of grand narrative of stardom, or is he more just like, yeah, that's like a movie I did? I feel like he never really talks about i mean i feel like sometimes on his social media he'll post like like throwback thursday pacifier nostalgia shit he'll be like happy birthday lauren graham it was great working with you <laughs> yeah remember the duck so, creative yeah, right. sundays the pacifier <laughs> god creative sundays creative sundays and toretto tuesdays two of my favorite weekly occurrences the only two days i the only holidays I, as i and atheist celebrate I'm sorry. Are toretto yes. tuesdays and creative Sunday. I observe every Toretto Tuesday. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I, I'm orthodox with my Toretto Tuesdays. I never miss one. Wait, 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 on Toretto Tuesdays, I need someone else in my building to push the elevator button for me. Because I feel like you shouldn't be operating machinery of any kind on a Toretto Tuesday. Every Toretto Tuesday, I accidentally kill somebody with a wrench. <laughs> Um, I feel like, no, I do feel like Pacifier is the one movie I never really hear him talk about in terms of his like grand career strategy. Right. And I guarantee he'll, he'll retcon it as like, you got to make a movie for the families, you know, for kids. That's totally what it is. Yeah. That was so the playbook at that point in time. He thinks he's Arnold. You have to do your kindergarten cop. He wants to make a Disney movie. Like it makes sense in that way. And was also, we should acknowledge a big hit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. A big it, fucking hit. It's a yes. formula that works. Yes. <laughs> this is the thing, though. Much like Too Fast, much like Triple X, these are movies that made money but yeah. earned no credibility with the public. Like the public was just like, "Eh, you you got me with that one, but I'm not gonna." No Bad thing. aftertaste. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Fool me once. Um, Vin has made the the short film. I think it's called Los Bandoleros that is Correct. on the ampersand uh, home video releases. That he directed. Yep. Uh, that is the what? What was Toretto doing in Cuba? Fills in d- during uh, Too Fast, Too Furious. Oh, that's awesome! Which is just like he's hit. like buying white pants that yes. fit his quads. Pretty much, it's, it's <laughs> just white about capri pants. Him becoming a local legend, essentially. Right. The dream for Vin, a guy like Vin Diesel is like, let me make a movie about how badass I became in, for the two movies I wasn't around for. It's like, oh, okay, man, cool. And it's like not an action movie anymore; it's just a moody short character <laughs> piece. 
Uh, Dominican Republic. I'm sorry. He goes to Cuba in uh, Fate. In... Uh, the, yes. Oh, Fate is the one where he opens with yeah. him yeah. in the white pants. Yeah. Yes. This is Dominican Republic, but I, I do believe he has white pants in this as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so at this point in time, it's it's the Paul Walker franchise. It's can we make Tyrese a leading man? And it's an easy job for Singleton, who's now had you know a failed franchise starter and uh, a return to personal movies that didn't make much of an impact at the box office. Uh, we should mention right off the bat, this film does the thing we love the most, David. Changes the Universal logo? Yeah. And <laughs> oh, God. And it's in, in all, so good. I'm sorry. It's too, it's so aggressive. It's the it's, most it's the changed most. opening I've ever seen. It's yes, it is the most. Longer than you, longer than we can articulate. Yes. <laughs> it's like, Six beats longer than you think it's going to be. Because it starts out with the Universal Globe. It's the normal logo. And then once you get the camera has zoomed out enough in the universe that the globe is fully captured on screen, it then becomes chrome, is yep. surrounded by rivets. You yep. hear a lot of auto mechanic sounds, whirring and drills and shit. I'm and watching then it, it like, now just for fun. It becomes a hubcap. It does. Yeah. It's rims. Yeah. And it like... And it rules. It rules. It's so good. The, the, I, like I, the sort of herky jerky, you know, machine way that it moves is the best. It's so and, so good. I think it's important to have this early in the movie to prepare your fucking inner ears for how this movie does stop and start and pans and shit like that. You're you have to be sort of like if you saw this shit in 4DX, I could see like Ugh. my mom barfing or something. I want like them that. to do a 4DX re-release of this movie. Um a, a remaster. Uh I do feel... It's remastered for 4DX. Yes, You're a guy who's in charge of remastering. It's like we go to Griffin, he's the best. I think we should add a water squirt here. <laughs> More rat smell. Um, I just, I appreciate, I think, Griff, we've talked about this. I don't think The Fast and the Furious is very well directed. I don't think Rob Cohen is a particularly good director. I'm, I'm going to follow this up in a second. Go on. Yeah. Um, this movie is, it just feels like John Singleton is like, this movie should feel kind of swagged out. Like, it should yeah. be big and loud and colorful and silly. Yes. And it should be having fun. And it should be loud. And did I mention that the volume should be high <laughs> and the sound yeah. effects should be, you know, in your ears? And yeah. it doesn't feel like he's phoning it in, I guess. is you know, no. for, for whatever you want to say about this movie, some people, I, I guess it's still kind of the redheaded stepchild of the Fast and the Furious franchise. It shouldn't be, but I mm -hmm. guess it kind of is. I feel is. like Tokyo Drift deserves the deserves the black sheep of the family no but i love tokyo drift tokyo drift so i like crucial. tokyo drift too but i think it's the least cast whatever we don't right have to get right into you know it's a, it's a debate it's a debate but i just feel like he did not whatever he 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 rolled up his sleeves and made an effort and had fun and delivered a very entertaining movie that is not like is not a yawn i guess that's that's yeah. my praise for it right like it's not yeah Despite everything we're saying, it's not just kind of like, all right, and then they blah, blah, blah. You know, like it's trying to make every scene very entertaining. It's truly better than I remember. Like, I remember Definitely. leaving the theater going, oh, man. But I remember leaving the theater for Fast 1 going, that shit was sick. Yeah. I remember leaving the theater for Fast 2 going, oh, sequels have uh, casually let me down over and over again. But then rewatching this, I'm like, we should talk. You talked about the opening of the Universal. The next three things are like cars pulling up, and it's like, "Yo, drag race!" And then Paul Walker going, "Fuck! All right, I'll 
I'll race there. And I'll it's be like there in four minutes. A, 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 a badass driving sequence to get him to the race, which is another badass driving sequence. Yes. And so the movie has like nine minutes of unbroken action out of the gate, and I'm like... Okay, yeah, no, this is movie's doing exactly what I wanted to do right now. I put it on last night at 10.30 and did not feel a lick of tired or wanting to look at my phone. I was right. blasting through this movie. I loved it. I think it opens so strong. I, yes. I, I like this movie. It has grown on me over time, although I think it has some fundamental issues. <laughs> Namely oh, that yeah, sure. the script just sucks. It's got a really boring script. John but, Singleton, to go back to what David said, John Singleton's the only person not phoning in this movie. Right. He, <laughs> like, is, <laughs> he is directing. Everyone else is trying hard but not landing. Yes. Yeah, but he's directing the shit. Absolutely. It. That's the biggest thing. And I feel like that's why the Universal logo is such a mission statement for this movie. Exactly. Right? Because right. Right. like he said that he saw Fast and Furious when it came out in theaters the same weekend that Baby Boy is bombing, right? And was like, fuck, I should have done this. Like, he had this moment where he's like, I knew about this fucking, like, street racing culture in Southern California. I could have made this movie. I should have thought to pitch this. This is a good idea for a commercial studio film. So then when they offer it to him, he's like, yeah, I know that world. But then they give him this script that sort of becomes like Miami Vice. It really does feel like, oh, it's just two guys trying to stay cool, go undercover in a city to bust up some coke lord right look, like look we're gonna talk about cole hauser we're we'll gonna get, get to, to him in a minute we're gonna get there wait hey, but go ahead before we go any further into the movie the most confusing thing about this movie is that it starts with han's funeral a character we have not met yet <laughs> and to keep the timeline even wonkier han, yeah. they're at han's funeral at the beginning of this movie and han that's is all there. i can think about that's the, that's the weird just... thing he's there at his own funeral he's there yeah <laughs> No, sorry, Griff. What Don't were you say anything, say? Griffin. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no. I was just gonna say, like, I, I, you know, he's talked about. I found this interview uh, that he gave where he talked about like his influences on this movie. Yeah, here it is. Um, this is from uh, blackfilm.com in two thousand three when this movie's about to come out, and uh, when this movie was released and the reception was negative not just from the public but i think critics were kind of like why did john singleton make this i think critics were were generally mad as, and it didn't help that it was called too fast too furious i feel no. like there was a weird target on this movie's back because it had this ludicrous name which it also was like called the fast and the furious 2 for a while like they re-released the first movie on dvd when this was about to come out on some special mm. edition with a sneak peek and i distinctly remember it still being called the fast and the furious 2 on that sneak peek a couple months earlier when they announced like it's called too fast too furious i just feel like everyone in the world laughed like it, it became was, the new Breaking Two Electric Boogaloo or whatever. It just right. became the new jokey sequel title where it's like they've gone too far. They're trying to like make sequels sound cool and it sounds lame or whatever. Which also then becomes another hallmark of the Fast and Furious franchises. Every title has to have some new titling structure, some new yeah. convention. It's playing by its own rules. Well, that's the thing. The meta narrative is important in these movies, in, in connecting all them, because nothing else does. Right. Like, like Vin is in and out, Paul Walker in and out, you yeah. know, like people are in, very out, you know, and uh, shit like that. You're just like, oh. And so 
there's nothing like, all right, this one, let's name it, you know, Furious Meets Fast. It's like, perfect, like, printed. <laughs> like, we got a poster, let's go. Well, but that's the thing. So, like, I think people were like, Singleton, you fucked this up. Like, you fucked up this franchise that, like, the first Fast and Furious movie, as you said, David, I fully agree. Rob Cohen is, in addition to, by all accounts, being a pretty monstrous human being, a shitty director, right? Like, he's he is... He's a good director. He's a hack. He's a hack. Uh, and uh, the first Fast and Furious movie... You you rewatch it and it is astonishing the gulf between how poorly directed all the dialogue sequences are, which are really mm-hmm. just carried by the like undeniable movie star energy of the actors, yeah. and how exciting the race sequences are that were clearly directed by a second unit that Rob Cohen had no hand over because they do not feel like they're part of the same movie. They have like a completely different visual language. The racing sequences are well constructed and visually inventive. And like he like the the dialogue sequences are like ineptly covered and like riddled with mistakes. Um, Singleton, right off the bat, he's making a movie where all of it is directed by one person where the dialogue scenes are as kinetic as the race sequences and the race sequences are now even more kinetic than the racing was in the first movie. So that his, shit heightens well from right? one, from one to two. They do a great job of making the ra- I think the one has better set pieces, like more exciting set pieces, but two ramps up what the driving looks like in a fucking cool way. Yeah. I mean, it's the bummer of this movie is that the first 10 minutes you're like, I just want to watch this. Just show me this fucking escalation, which Singleton's whole defense when people would criticize him for it was like, I wasn't trying to do the same racing sequences as the first movie. I was looking at anime. Like I was looking at Speed Racer, this interview with Black Film. Yeah, it's like F-Zero. The beginning of this movie reminds me of the Super Nintendo game F-Zero so much. an F-Zero movie. Okay, so Gabris, this Black Film interview, they say some of the action car scenes were similar to those scenes we see in video games where any game's an influence in shooting those scenes. He said, yeah, funny you were able to pick that up. When I was formulating the way I wanted to shoot the film, I watched a lot of anime. I watched The Road Warrior over and over again, which I feel Hell is the yeah. best car movie ever made. I play a couple of video games where it allowed me to free my mind and think about shooting something different from the traditional way. I also played with Hot Wheels on my desk and oh, thought yeah. about how a camera can shoot this from different angles. So he's just going like full cartoon gonzo, like let's get as creative and have as much fun with this as possible. Which watching it today, you're like, this stuff rips. And at the time, I think people are like, where is the versimilitude of the first movie? Which the versimilitude of the first movie, you kind of have to put in quotes. You know, but like, I think that movie was grittier and more street level. And when this movie has like a a literal neon light consultant who is there on set every day oh, yeah. to navigate how to shoot that much neon. That guy's only worked on Too Fast, Too Furious and Batman Forever. He's like <laughs> his only two jobs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was just, no, he was in all the Schumacher movies. He, he was Joel Schumacher's guy. But that's what it feels like. It does kind of feel like he's doing a Schumacher to the first Fast and Furious as Batman, Burton Batmans, you know? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I, I think, right, I think the Burton Batmans are, are better made and have more intention than the first Fast and Furious, but that is a good... Uh, analogy and yes that's 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 perfect um we should mention while we're on the opening of the film also because gabrus you talked about uh what a payday this has been for uh Ludacris and tyrese across the rest of their career oh, yeah uh tyrese was obviously a studio choice stacy snyder wanted him 
uh, Ludacris was cast because uh, Tim was a big fan of him and his music videos and thought he had an undeniable energy. And so they gave him the prime role of Michael Ealy's character. He was only supposed to be the driver in this one sequence. Slapjack or whatever they call him. Yep. They, they named him in the movie. Yep. Yeah. He was supposed to play fucking Slapjack. And uh, Ja Rule was supposed to play the role that then became Tej. That was supposed to be yeah. the extension of Ja Rule's Because that's kind of what he is in the first one. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like, here's the ringleader. Here's the P.T. Barnum of this shit, right? He, it's it's the Vin Diesel story, but with an idiot at the center right. of it. Like, you know, it's like he's at the peak of his fame, Ja Rule. And they're like, come on, come be in Too Fast and Furious. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, I'm too famous. He got paid $15,000 for the first movie. Yes. They offered him 500000 for Too Fast. And we're like, you get to be like the big supporting character in this. And You'll he was be on like, the poster. Yeah, no, no, thank you. Uh, the beginning of this movie where Tej is talking to uh, the guy from Prison Break, the handsome... Uh, Amory, no, Amory Nolasco, yes. Who's Go got ahead, a, sorry. He's like Orange Julius. So he's talking to Orange Julius and their wardrobe is so insane. The background is so crazy. I put this on last night. T Tiffany, my wife, comes out of the bedroom to say goodnight. I'm in the living room, and she goes, what movie are you watching? And I'm like, it's Too Fast, Too Furious. It's a sequel to Paul Walker. And she's like, yeah, no, no, no. I recognize. Are they at, is it like, is it Halloween or something? <laughs> and I'm like, no. That's how Ludacris' character is introduced in this movie, with like an Afro pick, an open, a, a big out fro. Like the biggest Afro. Like like an undercover brother-sized Afro. Yeah, like like played for size and laughs. Yes. And then like a deep cut fucking like, hey, you work in cars, so you'll have a, coveralls on, but they'll be stylish and open. And then Orange Julius... Slapjack and yeah. uh, whatever David's phone was calling her before. Devin Aoki. Uh, Devin Aoki. When all three of them, you're like, holy shit, it's like G.I. Joe. Like each one of them matches their car in a way. And you're like, oh, this movie. I'm, I'm like, Tiffany's like, is it Halloween? I go, no, but it might as well be. It's like, Toretto it's Tuesday. Like, it, it's Creative yeah, Sunday. It's, it's, yeah. right. We're recording on Toretto Tuesday. We I are recording. We that. should mention Happy Toretto Tuesday. <laughs> Happy Toretto Tuesday. For it's, it's Hot Wheels. It's, it is, right? It's like you get your Hot Wheels out and there's an orange one. You're like, I bet a, a guy in orange would drive this car. The orange like, racer. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it also feels like the, the, this section of the movie, this opening set piece looks like a bowl of Fruit Loops held up under a black light. Like it is. <laughs> yeah, just, it's crazy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Every car is eight colors and yes. none of them overlap between the cars. <laughs> right. Like <laughs> right. And they were all like custom made. He was like very particular about what models they got, what people wouldn't drive, uh, you know, disregarded a lot of potential money for sponsorship deals because he was like, no one's driving a fucking Ford Focus in this movie. Get out yeah, of right. here. And then they hired like top of the line people and not just put decals on, but like custom paint each one for each character and whatever. You have these insane neon lights underneath each car. Which I love. Great choice. They're racing. They sort of have like Tron like light streams. Yeah. It's like fucking uh, uh, building your own PC the way these guys build their cars. Yes. It's like, oh, cool. The tower glows. Yeah. <laughs> but like you got Singleton doing like crazy canted camera angles and like big like cartoony push ins and using a lot of CGI. Yeah. Speaking of the car, I love the speaker little sequence where it's like they're having like a sound off. And then the yes. one guy's speaker like has another speaker inside of it. Yeah, it opens, it like uh, unfurls, and there's yeah. two more speakers that come out. Dude, 
That shit is so early 2000s, uh, late 90s. Like yeah. that was my high school years. Everyone in my high school had half their trunk given up to a giant speaker. That was just like a thing on Long Island. It's like your car would just be like, and you'd be driving like everyone drove like their dad's 89 Buick Century, <laughs> but they would put like a $200 speaker in the trunk that would like rattle the fucking locks of your door. Like but there's it was the coolest thing. Breaks because the bass yes. is so loud. <laughs> The car is not structurally it like into, it doesn't have enough structural integrity to handle that decibel. <laughs> like, but that that I love the the streetcar culture and uh, the idea of that, and then watching it get absolutely bastardized and movieized is so fucking fun to me. Where guys got two chicks who are just into the car. Like I just love. This world where it's like, if this is true about car racing, then what else is true in this world? It's like, they are professional athletes. Yes. People treat them like they're fucking millionaire Hollywood. When when he goes, anyone can race, and you go, I could pick anybody? And then they're like, oh, fuck, it's Brian. It's like, you didn't think he would pick a guy who could beat you? A guy yeah. who's good Like, I don't even understand the rules. <laughs> yeah. And what? Why, why do all what? three of you still do the race? And more importantly, why do you still jump the bridge after you've lost? It's like... That is a good point. I would not <laughs> like, jump the bridge. Why would you risk trying to just come in third? <laughs> like, it's like... Well, you jump a bridge because that shit's cool as hell. Have you always well, wanted to do go. that? No. I mean, Tej, Tej uh, he's oh, like, okay. told you there was a surprise. And you're like... Fuck yeah, Tej. That is not something you should do to your friends without warning them. But that like, is a wild choice. <laughs> it's the thing about it, though. It's like when he says, I told you to be a surprise. I'm like, I know that this is going to end fine. If everyone died, does Tej go home and go like, well, that's how it goes when you race, you know, at night. It in was Miami. surprising. I was, it was right. Surprising. It, no one, or, they were expecting to live. Or is he guilty? He's like, you know what? The br- I should have maybe not sprung the bridge on. <laughs> like Maybe <laughs> yeah. I could have alerted well, if you- <laughs> Even if you're fine, if you're Brian, aren't you like, bro, what the fuck that was, was that insane. bridge thing? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, yeah. oh, I thought that would be so sick. He's like, no, no, don't call me in to race people if you're going to fucking make it dangerous. Like, don't invite me here and then also, like, that's like, hey, Haas, you want to come to a party at my house? Then when you show up, I cut to five rugby guys and I'm like, hey, this is the guy who called you guys pussies. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you invited me to your party and now you're putting my life in danger. <laughs> it's also so fascinating because, like, I, I, I know it's a leap, but in my mind, until I rewatch this movie, I always make the distance shorter. But, like, yes. in this movie, he is literally, oh, I, well, the literal leap. But what I was going to say is, in this movie, Tej is literally a dude who sort of organizes these races and owns, like, an auto shop. And his level of expertise is, like, he can put a crazy speaker, as you said, in your trunk. Yeah. He he's, put- he's not even the car tech guy. There's another character who will get conflated to be just Tej eventually. Right? Because in my yeah. mind, I go, like, he starts out as the car tech guy and then he becomes like the world's greatest tech guy, period. But no, yeah. it's like he's, he's he actually is it's called out as he's the second best hacker in the world behind Randy's, yes, right? right? It's like <laughs> where'd you learn that? Owning a mechanic shop in downtown LA? <laughs> in Miami. In this movie, he's a guy who employs a decent tech guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then he becomes the second best hacker in the world. Also, 
also, I feel like his character in the later movies is like very restrained. Like he becomes the straight man of the group. He's the sober, yeah. serious one. He's the saucer under the teacup. He's the kind of right. like, all right, guys. You know, like that's kind of his vibe, which is they right. got a tank. <laughs> right. While we're on the topic, Roman isn't a fast talker in this movie. No, not at all. No. And like R- Roman is kind of like a, a, a crazy wild card badass, right? Like you're like, right. chill out, man. You're being too aggressive. He's he's like the loose cannon in this. Right. Yes. But after five, he's the scared one every time. Right. Which is just such a funny as a matter of fact, some would argue in this movie, the thing that is the craziest is how sociopathically him and uh, Brian treat each other when they're on the same side during missions. <laughs> like like in, th- in this movie, they're like like Wolverine and Cyclops, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> Uneasy allies. Right, right. 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 And he's just like fucking wild energy. Sometimes he could be a little charming, but he's like fucking uh, he might pounce on someone at any moment. And then to get the call two movies later, I remember when ampersand was coming out and he had done annapolis tyrese with justin Mm -hmm. lynn and i remember him doing press or something else and being like yeah i don't know i was expecting to get the call like i was the second lead of the second movie everyone (laughs) else is back for this fourth movie it's justin lynn director i worked with i'm waiting hopefully if they make a fifth one they call me can you imagine when they're like he's been in transformers like he had he was he was a major guy he was big he was was at a big point what's the movie ampersand it's the fourth Fast and Furious, which is called Fast Ampersand Furious. Okay. Well, that's not a, like, is that a thing? I'm, all right. Sorry. I, it's what I call I'm that, not as into these movies as you are, Greg. Bahaz, we appreciate that's perfect for the audience, though me, David, and Griffin did not need that clarification. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> you say I'm Ampersand like, to me, and David, we know exactly what movie you're talking about, but we do appreciate that. Uh, uh, yeah, no, this turns is out perspective, yes. Even he could be the connoisseur of context. <laughs> Uh, ben, the first movie is just titled The Fast and The Furious, right? Sure, sure. Then this one, as you know, is called Too Fast, Too Furious. Too Fast, yep. Right. Then the third film is called Fast and The Furious, Nova at the beginning, colon, Tokyo Drift, right? Okay. Yeah, okay. So people were like, what are they going to call the fourth one? The fourth one they call Fast and Furious. It cool. is almost the same title as the first movie the only difference is they took out the definite articles right. and put an ampersand in instead of spelling and so i always call the movie ampersand okay and then it. five is called like fast five right more or less right, right. then and six what- is fast ampersand furious six yes and then furious seven spelled no furious seven numeral because fast five is spelled out f-i-v-e yes Furious 7 is Furious, numeral 7. Then The Fate of the Furious is 8. And then F9. F9. I love it. Yeah. I fucking love it. The best. Named after my favorite key on the keyboard. Ugh, it's so it's so satisfying. <laughs> they they should do a, a tie-in with the F9 key on your keyboard <laughs> so that you can, <laughs> if you ever want to watch F9, you just, you just hit F9 on your keyboard. It should just be if you hit F9, your computer says, family. <laughs> <laughs> family it's what's important but yes okay so this awesome race happens and then uh uh brian is stopped by the cops right and we realize because the first movie you you're like maybe 30 minutes in before the the turn happens that you realize he's an undercover cop yeah there's a lot of lead up yeah. Right, you you start with him at the cafe, hitting on Mia, then meeting Dom, getting in the fight. Then he goes to a race. 
He like shows up, you know, he doesn't win, but he makes an impression, all that shit. Then finally you see him going to the, uh, to the cops. And in the first movie that wasn't part of the advertising campaign. It's genuinely like a first act twist that this guy's undercover. Uh, so this one you're watching, you don't really understand. Is he a cop? Has he totally given up? to just be a racer, uh, especially because the ending of the first movie is amb- uh, ambiguous. Uh, but then uh, James Remar stops him with a gun, like a grappling hook gun that has an electro hook. He yeah. shoots a, uh, an electric trident out of a right. harpoon gun <laughs> out of a helicopter? Right. I mean, this is another <laughs> thing where, like, in 2003, people are like, jumped the shark, fucked it up ruined everything that was good about the first movie. This is a cartoon now. And when you watch this in 2021, you're like, yes, of course, the types of weapons they have in the Fast and Furious franchise. Yeah, I know. This movie is calm by that standard. They should bring James Rimar back. They should bring him back for Now, now this is what I want to say, though. Do you not watch this movie the whole time expecting James Rimar to turn and turn out to be working for the bad guys? Yeah, because he... he, he, I mean, James Rimar is... uh, a classic scumbag. Like, he plays many a villain over the years. So, yes, it would be obvious. Instead, it's just like he's annoying. Right. I guess. <laughs> he's he's sort of the th- he's the one who's like, well, I, I don't know. Or I, that's a bad idea. Like, I mean, that's really all he's got. Well, because right? there's, there's Wilkins, who I love. Well, Wilkins, who's played by Tom Barry. He's the guy from the first who's one, Who's right? in the first one. Sorry, Bilkins, not Wilkins. Bilkins. Bilkins. Sorry, Agent sorry, Bilkins. sorry. He's great. I love that actor. I, I As far as Tom I know. Tom Barry is his name. Yeah, as far as I know, he's still alive. Correct. Yeah, he's 70 years old. But, you know, come on, bring him back to. This is my feeling watching this movie. I know they brought in. Bring everyone type, back. I know, I know Eva Mendes is like retired and she's like the white whale. She's like the one where if you got her. I, I'm, I'm not taking that as an excuse. They got her at the end of five. I'm not going to be happy until she comes back. Um, but like get Tom Barry back. Get Devin Aoki. She's like apparently yeah. sort of semi-retired as well. You know, bring get, in get freaking, fucking Slapjack back. Slapjack. Get Michael Ely back. Julius. <laughs> like, come on. Varone literally says at the end of this movie, like, I'll see you again. It's like, he's got to wander in at in Fast 10 and be like, oh, did I miss that? Like when they All finally right. save right. the president from the aliens or whatever. And he walks out and he goes, oh, God damn, I missed the whole thing, didn't I? Let's, <laughs> let's talk about Cole. Hauser. This is a very curious casting decision. Okay, so I just, on the subject of Cole Hauser, I just want to say, bring him back. This is the least reputable source in the world, okay? Okay. But I was looking at the Fast and Furious wiki. Like the the internal wiki for the universe of Fast Fast and and Furious. Fastandfurious.fandom.com Yes. And I was sort of trying to take account of like which main Fast and Furious villains are still canonically alive and which ones are dead. Okay. Um, uh, not that that really matters, right? So I was like, oh, I, the other thing I was thinking is that what they should bring back is the, um, uh, like, Johnny Tran's gang, right? Johnny Tran, who's, like, the main villain of the first movie. Played by uh, Bond villain Rick Yoon. R- Rick Yoon, yeah. Yep. Oh, he's good. Yeah, right. Yeah. I was like, that feels like that's one of those original sin foundational rivalries in Dom's past that you could bring back from the dead, right? Right. Th- this Wikipedia entry says, the original ending of Furious 7 before it was rewritten due to Paul Walker's death featured a post credit scene where a team consisting of Johnny Tran, 
Carter Verone. That's Cole Hauser's character. Arturo Braga, oh, who shit. is the John Ortiz character from Ampersand, who comes... Has, of course, come back, right? Comes in six. ZZ, who is like the henchman, hitman uh, uh, character in Fast Five, working for the main mob boss villain. Yeah. And Deckard Shaw. Oh, are brought together to form a super team to go so after Dom it, and Brian. Right, so it's like a Thunderbolts, like a Justice League yes. Dark or whatever, well, right? Like a, the villains have united. <laughs> but and so you're saying this was cut to accommodate instead the whole look. That is you know, right. all it says on the Fast and Furious Wikia with no citation. So that okay, very well might enough. be f- fan fiction, right? But but I read that and I go, well, they should do that. Like, they should uh, like make it clear that there's a league of supervillains and that fucking Cole Hauser is working with John Ortiz and everybody. Here's the only reason you don't do that. The villains in Fast and Furious are not really the thing. Right. Until later when they build up the Shaws. And honestly, that kind of, you know, that had its pluses and minuses, them doing that. Yes. Right? Like, before then... Yeah, the villains are pretty like you're you're saying all these names where I'm like, right, Rick Yoon. You know, it's like they're they're pretty disposable. Family is the most important thing, yada yada yada. That is why, David, I would not necessarily be that excited if they announced they were bringing back one of those guys. If right, they announced that all, all, all them, six right. guys have formed a Voltron. Yeah, if they've got like a suicide squad of yes! Fast and the Furious bad guys. That's really funny. Right. Like well, I I we... just think it's funny if all these guys show up and they're like, You thought we were expendable? <laughs> Speaking of uh, Griffin, speaking of, uh, we were talking about this off mic, uh, you know, um, actors who you're like, what are they up to? And it turns out they're on some TV show. What TV show is Cole Hauser on right now? What oh, hit Jesus. Show? He's on a hit show? Hit. Network. The most watched shows on television, not network, cable. He's on a cable show that's one of the most watched shows on television. He's not on one of the Walking Dead shows. No, no, he's not. He, I know what sh- I know the answer to this. I just don't know the name of the show because there's like eight shows that fit in that world. Fuck. It's it's uh, is it like a, is it like a USA Network thing? Yes, it's one of the shows that you don't know what channel it's on. It's, it's like, on the Paramount Network. Exactly. Is he on Yellowstone? <laughs> yes, he's on Yellowstone. That's the name of it. Cause and Wes Bentley Huge and Kelly show. Riley and yeah. Danny Houston and yeah. Gil Birmingham. They're just all plugging away. I saw him on the Long Island Railroad once when I was uh, coming home from my internship or my PA job with my wife. He was with his parents and we were sitting in like the same section, the same train car. And I said, hey, man, I love you as an actor. I don't I'm and I'm a, I'm young. I don't understand the level how you're supposed to talk to people like that sure. yet. I haven't had it. I haven't had enough of the reverse engagements that I realize how awful I'm being of a person at this point. You you had so, not yet gotten to the point where you tell people to fuck off on the LIRR. Yes, exactly. So and I'm like, I, I I think you're such a great. He's like, yeah. I'm like, Goodwill Hunting and. Um, and I'm like uh-oh, panicking, uh-oh. trying to think of another you movie. You can't even say like oh, school man. ties. Uh, no, I don't remember school ties. I forget. I say another. I finally come to one. I'm like, oh, uh, I can't place Days the other movies. Confused. Right. Days of Confused. That's what it is. He's yeah. got. He's the paddle guy. In Days of Confused. So I say Days of Confused. He's like, oh, that's really. And his. And I've been in this exact situation where he's like, okay, and like turns back, and his parents are like, talk to the boy. You know what I mean? Like his parents give him the look like 
Nicole. Go on, go on. Like, come on, this is part of the bit. You know, and so I've seen it with my mom where we were in Vegas and my mom is going, no, you should take a picture with him. And I'm like, the guy's not even asking for a picture. And I'm like, he's just a fan of guy code. Let him walk away. And my mom's like, no, 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 I'll take a picture of you guys. What's your name? What's your name? John, give him your email. I'm like, wait, mom, mom, stop, dude. (laughs) So it was fun to do that once, see it happen to Cole. I, I, you know, I was looking here. I found the production notes from when this movie was coming out that they would send to press to consult. And there's the whole sort of write-up about the cast, right? Where they give a couple graphs to each cast member. And most of the people in this movie are like fresh stars or this is their breakout thing, right? Yeah, or you, you know them, but you don't know them as actors. Right. So it's like three paragraphs where they're trying to like make it sound like they've done shit before. We're like, this is Eva Mendez's big year where she sort of breaks out, where she has like this and out of time and stuck on you and is like suddenly in a lot of movies. Training day, she has the one scene like two years before that. And that's what sort of puts her on the map. But so they're like sort of saying like Eva Mendez is like one of the hottest new actresses. She has five movies coming out. Like everyone, they're sort of saying that about like Tyrese has been on MTV a lot. He's just now one of the most exciting new leading men. And then you go to Cole Hauser and it's like Cole Hauser has recently signed on to do uh, uh, Mel Gibson's paparazzi. He was recently seen Anton Fuqua's Tears of the Sun, right? True. He's he's playing the boyfriend of Robin Wright Penn and White Oleander. So you're like, okay, that's sort of where his career was at, all these movies that don't really connect, right? Okay. Yeah. And then you look at the graph, and then it says, his additional film credits include Pitch Black, Stephen Frears' The High Low Country, Gus Van Sant's Goodwill Hunting, John Singleton's Higher Learning, Adam Goldberg's Indie Scotch and Milk, Rob Mandel's School Ties, and Richard Linklater's Cold Hit, Days of Confused. And you're like, wow, he was... He was a thing. Like, he did have a good fucking resume at that point. But he, he never had a... I feel like he didn't get, get enough meat in any of those. No. I, I mean, wonderful career. I would kill to have that career. But always the smaller But role. always, like, number eight on the call sheet. And always yeah. playing, like, supporting asshole. Like, that was his zone. Yeah. That was his zone. You know, he had actually gotten an indie spirit uh, supporting actor For nomination. For Tigerland, which yeah. he's excellent in, the movie that was you know most best known as Colin Farrell's breakout movie, and but it's for a drill sergeant performance, sure, that, you know, and he's he he nails it, you know, like it's a supporting asshole performance, and he nails it, and it just was clear that's probably his, you know, that's his zone forever. That's what yeah. he's going to do forever. Like he got that show Kville. With right. Anthony Anderson, that was like a New Orleans cop show post Katrina that was like so hyped and got canceled, you know, went nowhere like that. That's like a, a swing that missed. Paparazzi was like his one movie where he got to be the lead and that movie doesn't exist. I, I He is not, in my opinion, particularly oh, shit. good. He's casting. in Jarhead too. Field of Fire. Of course he is. <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> Holy not shit, we three. At- to be clear, no. he only did two. <laughs> he only did two. You, you were going to say, David, uh, he's not particularly good casting? I don't think... He's not the person I would pick to play an Argentinian drug lord in Miami. That's all. Okay? Sure. I, I don't mean to be mean to Cole Hauser. I don't know why... I, I know he was in a movie that John Singleton directed. I yeah, assume John that Singleton had just cast him to play a Nazi skinhead. But... It, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just... Do, do you guys like Cole Hauser in this movie? I think he's fun i think they probably should have rewritten the character to not be argentinian yeah like you know i 
He's got okay scumbag energy, but yeah. I don't really buy him as the big man that in like Miami customs is trying to get. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, he seems like the guy who will then get you the next guy. You know what I mean? If you're trying to flip yes. up the ladder. He seems aggressively domestic. Yes. Very not <laughs> yes. international for a guy who to be chased by customs, the most like suburban American looking fucking guy in the movie is the customs is after this Miami based whatever he is. I, I think movie. he is successful in projecting a very Miami grodiness, but it is, he's, he's good at the dirtbags. Yes. Right. Yeah. It is interesting for how much Cole Hauser's thing was being kind of an aggro asshole, right. And getting nominated for playing a drill sergeant that he feels pretty low energy in this movie and and yeah. that feels like a choice that he's doing to underplay shit which is maybe not the right choice for this movie he's playing it too cool for sure yeah him him and brian which is saying a lot for this movie yeah yes yes yeah. <laughs> obviously he has the big torture scene like that's his kind right. of really nasty scene where he puts the rat on my mark boone jr in the bucket oh shit yeah <laughs> but that's kind of more he, and he, like, yells and he says, like, the movie's one fuck there, right? Like, so, you know, he's, like, a little right. more dialed up there. But the rat is kind of... I don't know. David, death by rat? No. The rat is kind of the scariest thing in that scene. Like, Cole Hauser is, like, maybe number two. He doesn't get any other moments where he's, no. like, a badass. No, no, no yeah. and it's, like, that's... No. that's Cuts the... the cigar, you know, that's right. about oh, it. His whole thing about the fucking cutter. He loves that cigar cutter. <laughs> yeah. but, but that's the moment where it's, like, okay, that dynamic's interesting where you're sort of playing the, like, low-level... Fast and Furious version of a Bond villain, right? Where it's like, here's my horrible contraption that's going to torture right. you. And he can stand there quietly and calmly and monologue about like the pain they're about to experience. That works. When he's just standing outside of his villa and he's monologuing with that same quiet energy, you want someone to be like fucking slicing up the ham a little bit more. I will say... Uh, in quarantine, I, I tried to watch all the Vin Diesel movies I'd never seen before. And one of Vin Diesel's least existent movies is A Man Apart with F. Gary Gray, which was a movie I think he shot after Fast and Furious, but before it came out. And then they like delayed it to try to make it a bigger hit off of the fact that he had popped. And it's like a nothing uh, fucking uh, undercover cop movie. But um, uh, Timothy Oliphant oddly plays the Cole Hauser-esque character in that movie's L.A. to Vin Diesel's Vin Diesel. And I just, <laughs> watching this, think about how much fun Oliphant is having in that role in that movie. And it's like, there's no scenario in which Timothy Oliphant, having passed on playing Dominic Toretto, is going to agree to play the villain in the sequel. Right, right. But you want someone with a little bit of that humor. I think. Yeah, he doesn't have any sense of humor. That's a good, right, that's a good call. Yeah, putting him yeah. in good company with the rest of the movie, but, <laughs> like, maybe you need one person who has a sense of humor to be in the movie. <laughs> right. Well, that's a fit. So, obviously, Paul Walker is no cut-up. You know, I'm never going to turn to Paul Walker <laughs> for laughs. As much as we said, like, he is funny. Yeah. Situationally, like, it's something like Pleasantville. Like, sure. he could do that. But, so... Roman obviously should be the comic relief, and there are moments, yes, like eject, you know, the ejector seat, like there's stuff, 
but he is also kind of like trying to do a Vin Diesel. Like he's trying to also be a badass. This is the problem. It, Roman sort of has to be both parts of the buddy dynamic. Like Tyrese is so much more dynamic in this movie than Walker is that he simultaneously has to be the funny guy and the scary guy. Well, somebody has to be somebody because if you're right. looking across at your right. scene partner, Paul Walker, and he's like, I don't know, man. You're like, okay, all right, yeah, I guess I'll carry this one for us. And, and this this movie doesn't have the Fast and Furious, you know, tension of he's undercover, will he get found out, any of that stuff. Right. Yeah, sure, they're undercover with Cole Hauser, but like, there's not any tension to that. No. That the, there's that there's not really any tension to are they going to get the bad guys? No. What that you know, like when it's like, oh, these you know, his two heavies were told to kill you. I'm not afraid of those two heavy guys. Like you know, like they're not the henchmen, Enrique and Roberto. Like you know, they're not going to kill Paul Walker. No, as a matter of fact, you can tell Eva Mendez at that point. Like, hey, you could have texted this to me because you're going to get us killed by standing <laughs> here right now. Oh, and Verone's Honestly, outside. You and he doesn't see you climbing on the roof of the boat. I love, I love Eva Mendes <laughs> yeah. as an actress. She's got, and she shares a birthday with my daughter. Oh no, she shared a birth. She shared a due date with my daughter. That's what it is. Oh, but um, she's got nothing to do in this. Like you know, she's pretty short changed by this. I mean, she's another Paul Walker, which it's like you don't want yeah. another person on the she's inside. She's like the fourth uncover person, undercover person in right. the last two movies. Yeah. Why isn't she just doing all of it? It's true. It's a fair question. Yeah, yeah like, absolutely. Because his whole thing is like, this guy is like a fucking dork. He's going to stick out like a sore thumb in these circles I run and let me get my guy. And then once he brings his guy in, they're like, by the way, that girl that you were flirting with at the race earlier, she's on the inside as well. Yeah. She she, she's clearly pulling it off. He didn't sniff her out. <laughs> right. That's that's all true. She's deep embedded. She's like running missions for yeah. the guy, basically. Maybe she doesn't have her driver's license. That would be funny if that's what it was revealed to be. <laughs> a, a woman who's undercover and being accused constantly of fucking the crime boss. Like, we know you're in love with him. It's like, what? That's like... In, Fast one fucking, uh, uh, what's his name? Blinking, screaming at fucking, I know you're fucking Toretto. I know oh, yeah. it, pa- <laughs> Brian. You sucking off Dominic Toretto at the garage late at night after a couple of Coronas. It's like, what? Why is this your jump to for Eva Mendes? She's been under for a year. Get her out. We can't. Yeah. Well, then it's your fault. Like, she's if she's doing the... You guys are the bad fucking... She must have fallen for him. This guy's irresistible. Him? <laughs> I think she can resist Cole Hauser. She can't resist Brian, though, baby. She loves his bracelet at the bar. When she starts... She's touching him up. I'm like, what is she doing? She's fake dating a fucking supervillain. <laughs> you're, you're right, though, David, that it's like the first movie has like three kind of like successfully bottled tension dynamics in it. Right. right? There's, yeah. there's a lot of good, right, intertwined right. personal and plot tensions. Uh, uh, Brewster yeah. and Walker undeniably have chemistry in a way that Mendez and Walker do not. So you're yes. and and their courtship is so much more like fleshed out. The movie starts with him being there at the fucking shop, getting a tuna melt for the eighth consecutive day because he's got a crush on this lady. Like it feels like a real thing. So when he's flirting with Eva Mendes in this, it's just kind of like, okay, so she's the new the new lady, you know? Like you're yeah. you're kind of aware in the same way that when Roman enters, you're like. So he's the new Dom. Like, you're like, I've seen him have more interesting chemistry with two other people in these roles. 
and also with the added tension of he's trying to maintain a cover for these people, his feelings and respect for them are real, but they run contrary to his job obligations. And this movie, he's on the level with everybody, and they just kind of don't like him. Yeah, he's kind of like a shitty employee. Like, they're like right. a necessary evil. Like, Ugh, I guess we'll work with Brian, the fucking car right. guy again. Right, yeah. like everyone just kind of is like, I don't know if I really trust this guy, but he's not lying to them. They're just like, I don't know, he just seems kind of dodgy. D- dude, you breaking down Eva Mendez and Brian's relationship in this movie makes me side with Roman when he's like, bro, what the fuck? You're trying to fuck this chick like immediately? It'd be like, yeah, wait, now that I think about it, weren't you in love with another woman from X amount of days ago? You had like... Uh, right, a great romance with Mia a <laughs> yeah. couple years ago. And yeah, now you're like, just like see that, yeah. a smoke show at the fucking finish line, and you're like, I want to met. Oh, she's an undercover cop living a fucking dangerous cover. Well, I'm going to still try to hook up with her. Of course. But it's, it's like, why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> it's one of those things, though, where it's just like Vin and Lynn are undeniably just kind of geniuses for having the vision of like how much of Ampersand is about brian and mia being together again like after he left her and you're like fuck i didn't realize that like brian o'connor and mia toretto have the charge of indiana jones and marion ravenwood in this franchise <laughs> yeah, yeah that it feels like you know she's this is fucking like allison duty you know like even <laughs> mendez you're just kind of like whatever that was the one true love of the character was <laughs> mia right you're great. You're, you know, we, we all like you, but right, you're you're not going to stick around. It's all the all the reason to bring her back, give her something to do. In absolutely, fourteen. Absolutely, I want to see her playing off a of fucking Roman. Like, I just think there's stuff to be mined from her and Roman together since they have a history. Um, but Roman's intro in this is cool. Like he, m- much like the movie is never cooler than its opening race sequence. Roman is never more compelling as a character in this movie than his introduction. Where yeah. you're just like, fuck, this is a different type of character. He's at a fucking like motor rally, demolition derby. right? Demolition yeah. derby. He's got an ankle bracelet. So he lives in a fucking RV in like the back, he hates Brian. He's like fucking clocking him the second he gets the chance. He thinks Brian betrayed him. Yeah, I didn't remember that they have a history before the Fast and the Furious movies until th- this rewatch of this, where I was like, oh, that's him and Roman's relationship, which now makes it make way more sense in the later movies because they are, are tighter than him and Toretto in a weird like yes. than Brian and yes. Toretto is. And, right. And it's funny that now that Brian is uh, out of the picture the Toretto and Tyrese a uh, Toretto and Roman don't like connect over like they're still it's still the same dynamic they have where like shut up you crazy it's like wait we we've, we've been doing this for way too long to be ball busting to, uh Roman anymore he's like the other <laughs> thing is and F9 just doubles down on this but at this point Roman is like a the third lead of the franchise right yeah, which is basically. wild. Yeah. The billing on F9, I believe, is Diesel, Rodriguez, Gibson, right? So essentially, like, Diesel is Clooney and Rodriguez is Pitt and Gibson <laughs> has become Damon, right, in this Ocean's Eleven. And and they do fit those character types. Like, that's essentially how they function within the team as well. But then 
he doesn't really have any relationship to Letty and Dom, who are the mother and the father of the team. <laughs> right. So his his role now is essentially, A, everyone telling him to shut up, right? <laughs> but B, more than anything, that he's the third wheel to Tej and Ramsey. Right. Yeah. Wait, they, because Tej is kind of his straight man, even though in this movie he and Tej don't really have any dynamic. No. <laughs> right. It's a wonder that they sort this all out over the yes. course. I mean, you get over 20 hours <laughs> of yes. of final uh, edited footage to piece together a story. You should have enough time to reconnect some characters. But it really is a testament that when you unpack how they all know each other, you're like, why does this matter? Why would anyone, why would Roman still be in the crew? Yes. Why would anyone, once you have like $10 billion, ever do another mission? Well, especially <laughs> when they're just like, you're looking at the best team in the world and you're like, Roman's kind of defining characteristic is that he is overwhelmed by what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Ro- Ro- Roman, what is Roman's technical what is he bringing to the team like when they bring him back in fast five what is it that he's he's a fast talker that's they essentially say he's yeah a smooth operator we're gonna need guys who can blow doors down if you're doing right if he dungeons and dragons he's a bard he's He's the the charmer he he is the face of their a team yeah but he doesn't even play that role he gets like two times to do that in like six movies he does the thing that He's reintroduced. We're going to need a guy. It's like, we need a guy who can get anywhere. And it's like, okay, that's one person. We need to, and a fast talker. And then we cut to Roman and you're like, oh shit, we're going to get some fast talking. And the one time he does it in like six or seven, he fucking blows it. He always blows it. He's always bad at that. He always is immediately like throwing phones at people. Yeah. Yeah. Because they have to make him bad at it narratively. Yes. Because Tyrese is not charming enough in real life to convey I'm the charming guy in this movie. Well, and what he's most charismatic at doing is playing kind of a goofball. Yeah, at this he's point. good at being kind of scared and in over his head in these like, movies. A lot. I want to make it clear. I love Roman. I like what he's become in the franchise. I I like the performance that Tyrese gives now. It's just so fucking bizarre trying to like correlate that to who this guy is in this movie. Right, right. I don't even think he's bad in this movie. I think he's doing. No, I think he's a, good in it. Uh, you know, he's doing kind of he's doing a d- good leading man shit. Yeah, with a pretty thin character and a pretty thin script, and this movie kind of, as we're all basically acknowledging, it like kicks off really well, and you know, the last act is kind of like okay, let's let's wrap it up. Like, there's no tension. They just got to get the bad guys. I think he's good, but I do too. He's not, and he's good enough that you're like, yeah, make this guy the second adult human in a Transformers movie. Right. You're right. not like, get this guy to the top of the A-list. You know, you know, it's not that that level of a busting. Whereas a Vin Diesel in a Fast and Furious 1, you yes. are like that. You, you're like, okay, what can we do with this yeah. guy? Put this guy in a Sidney Lumet movie ASAP. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but, but you look at Tyrese's movie career after this, and he does like Flight of the Phoenix, Four Brothers, Annapolis, those are all movies where he's, like, number two, right? Waist Deep also, is the Jordana one. Also, Jordana Brewster's in Annapolis. I've never seen it. Yeah. You guys mentioned it. I looked it up. And I... it's Lynn. Oh, fuck. That's Justin so Lynn. funny. I've never, I've never seen it either. I've never seen yeah. it either. All right, well, I'm watching. It was one of those, like, post-Spider-Man James Franco movies that was, yeah. like, completely anonymous, along with uh, Flyboys. 
right? And was there another one? I feel like he just like did a bunch of shit right after Spider-Man that was like, you know, whatever. That, that was the big one I think of, yeah. Franco's one of those guys that's like, oh yeah, I like him in movies. And then you're like, look at his IMDb. It's like, well, I haven't seen 80% of these. Like how many fucking, well, the right. guy, yeah, the guy works. The, the other one is Tristan and Isolde. That's yes. the other one. Oh, right. He did three big like movies that nobody watched in a row. If I can add on to what you said, uh, Gabrus, uh, A, you go, I haven't seen 90% of these. And B, you go, actually, I hated that movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> like you, you realize right. that you dislike the films and his performances in most of his work. <laughs> right. There are just the rare exceptions where he like shines uh, like insane yeah like pineapple express you're like oh okay yeah this guy's fucking mega talent right where he's not sleepwalking right right yeah it's uh he's not uh focusing more energy on being a creep offset um but yes uh tyrese and then he like even after it's he's in that zone where it's like he does the three transformers movies he does death race you know like all these things where they're like yeah "Yeah, tyrese could be like the number two guy he can be like the sidekick or the rival and now now he's comic relief. Yeah, that's cra- it's crazy that they haven't put like a big comic actor in the movies yet. And it, I mean, I know that's because every 6 months one of them is saying something insane on a podcast and unable to work, but yes. like put fucking Kevin Hart in this movie. Like why like well, I mean, I mean Gabrus, you forgot, of course, Kevin Hart's breakout role in Hobbs and Shaw as a flight attendant who is very impressed with oh, The Rock. God. Oh, right. Oh, God. Oh, uh, I wish I wish they went back to that well in the credits and stuff. Just more of it. There's nothing good. There's nothing I really like in Hobbs and Shaw, but there's nothing worse than those celebrity cameos where, right, as you say, Griffin, it's not just that they're there, but they're like, man, you're the coolest, Dwayne Johnson. Like, you know, like they're there to be like, love Both you. Both yes. Kevin Hart and Ryan Reynolds each get two scenes where they're just like, no. you're like the most impressive guy in the world, right? You're like, you rule. Wow, you're huge. Like, I want to be you. Do you have like a, I don't know, tequila I could buy or anything? <laughs> Is there like a big comic actor that would be big enough, but not too big, that could be added to Fast 10? Look, here's here's the honest answer. Here's the honest answer. The person who feels like he would be a perfect fit for this franchise is Lil Rel. Yes. Oh, perfect he, call. He, he, you know what? You know what? He, but here's the thing. It can't happen because Tyrese would probably be exactly. like, excuse me, that I am I am the comic relief of yes. the Fast and Furious. You can't take that from me now. That's the and also uh, I don't and I think Vin wouldn't mm-hmm. want someone who's actually good at comedy to be the comedy relief in the movie because then that person argument. might excel at what they do and and Vin is I think broken in a competitive way where yes. it would kill him if someone was like. I think he likes that Tyrese only lands 60% of his <laughs> jokes. He doesn't want the, him to be too good in his movie. Yes. It's, it's going to make a billion dollars anyway, so I'd rather not be outshined at any moment by Tyrese. I'll asterisk this by saying I think F9 is maybe the most comedically successful Roman movie. Oh, shit. And I, cool. I do feel That's like good on- news average like the joke writing is a little better on f9 than it usually is like it feels like there's actual joke construction as opposed to like what's the kind of one-liner a character would say in an action movie um but i i do think you're right about that (laughs) 
Like, I don't think he wants someone coming in who's going to improvise and start scoring, like, three-pointers in every scene. Yes. And exactly. just, like, steal the movie being hilarious. Right, right. Yeah, he can't have Bob... He, they. Babu Frick was in talks for F9. Babu and, Frick was in talks, Yeah, and yes. Vin was like, I can't have Babu Frick in here. Yeah, yeah. That guy's a <laughs> fucking legend. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do want to note, did not know this, Tyrese Gibson is in Morbius. He signed yes. a three-picture deal to play Simon Stroud, the FBI agent, hunting Morbius. And apparently he has a high-tech weapons-grade arm. So that's cool. He's he's like the guy chasing Morbius, right? He is the Yeah, he's the guy yeah. who's got to get Morbius. But but his character is someone in the comics. I want to say his character becomes yeah, he, somebody. Yes. No, I don't th- he does. Simon Stroud. I think he's just the guy who, who hunts Morbius. I don't think he's very cool. No, he's in the Morbius, <laughs> but yeah, but obviously they're turning him into a like they're making everybody a care. It's like uh, Agent Carter. Uh, like you know, it's like who's appeared in yes. something. It's like oh yeah, add them to this fucking uh, billion dollar multimedia series. <laughs> I went to Simon Stroud's uh, Marvel Wiki page, and the subheadings mm-hmm. are Hunt for the Man Wolf, Hunt for Morbius, teaming up with Morbius. So oh oh no oh no oh he no switch sides. <laughs> yeah, but Morbius feels like him being like I don't know. I should be in other movies, right? Like, right, shouldn't yeah. I? Like, I'm, I'm a valuable, famous person. Shouldn't I do some of this stuff? Right, well, all that I'm saying about Tyrese, like, he doesn't blow me away in these movies, but he's better than 75% of, like, blockbuster stars. It's like, absolutely, put him in fucking anything, you know? Like, I don't think he could do the shit like Bernthal's doing in a movie or something like that, but he could do anything less serious than that Tyrese could just fucking pull any blockbuster John we both just watched the Angelina Jolie Firewatch movie which I refuse to say the name of because I always forget to those who want me dead or Uh, whatever it's I hate phrase titles I never remember Uh, too long too long yeah but Bernthal as as he does in uh fucking Wind River as he does in all Taylor Sheridan movies I guess just killing his supporting role just doing a great just Uh, doing exactly what's expected of him I fucking love the Angelina Angelina Jolie movie. And I loved Wind River too. Two straight up just like 90s movies where even like Wind River even has the sort of like white guy who's more Native American than other people. Like, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, that, that was is. my issue with Wind River. <laughs> yes. <I> was, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Wind River had some issues. Those who wish me dead, I had a pretty good time with. I didn't I had really a, have a lot of complaints. I didn't have any complaints. I straight up 90s movie, like great ensemble. Uh, insane job and then an insane uh, storyline that has nothing to do with the job thrown on top of it. like yeah. just a movie about a smoke jumper is cool enough ask Howie Long but then it's like now also murderers and villains just being pure villains it, that's what's so 90s about it I feel like too there's no like gray area where they're like well they're trying to do something for society no they're just he literally starts a forest fire. <laughs> like, like they, you, know, you, you know they're bad because they have guns. Yeah. They're, they're guys with, with machine guns who will shoot the, the, the good guys. That's their, well, that's their like, only character. Okay, so to bring things full circle, though, like you were talking, Gabriel, about how watching this movie being like, man, we didn't know how fucking good we had it. Like the early 2000s vestiges of the 90s big dumb action movie, right? Yeah. And even though this isn't a perfect movie, it, watching it today, it, it 
gives you that nostalgic jolt. Like, it is wild now knowing what the Fast and Furious franchise has become that, like, the big fucking money trailer shot stunt at the end of this movie is they have to land a car on a boat. Yeah, and that's nothing to what the crew will get up to. But it's fucking the beginning of it. The boat. Right. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun. But, like, this movie cost $76 million, right? Which is like a huge punch up from the first movie costing like 25 or something. Um, And like this used to be an oversized, big, stupid action movie. Yes, yes. That was a $76 million movie where one vehicle lands on one other vehicle one time. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And the problem is then when when your stupid action movie becomes $300 million, and I will say I think the Fast and Furious franchise is largely the exception to this. Like it is the one franchise that has grown to that size that still works for me. But like now that's the only sphere in which this type of movie can exist is that budget level. It has to be that huge and global. Then you get to a point where it's like, well, then how do you make a $20 million Taylor Sheridan firefighter movie? Yeah. You know, it like feels like anomalous because you're like, well, the gulf is too wide there. That movie should cost $76 million, you know? Right. Like people don't know what to do with that movie being that size and being that sort of like modest in its ambition. Yeah. And then. Don't even start talking about comedies. Like, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> then you're like, bring back the middle class of American society and films. Yes. <laughs> Please. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I, I don't know. It's just like, like 2003 is a, is a big ass summer. You know, like you have The Matrix Reloaded oh, yeah. coming out. You have Finding Nemo. You have one of the Lord Griff, of the Rings. Griff, you're just spoiling the box office game right now. Come on, come on. But yes, yes, 2003, big summer. Yeah, it's just, and this was like one of the big sequels, but still it's mm-hmm. like $76 million. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and as you say, the climax is, you know, they jump a car on a boat yeah, yeah, the- and there's an ejector seat. And there's no Star Lord. No, no one opens a portal in the sky. And there's not even the right the fast the later Fast and Furious stuff where it's like, oh my God, they have a tank and a submarine, and <laughs> we have to jump, uh, you know, eight people from a skyscraper to another skyscraper. Whatever, you know, like they they don't they're not pulling any you know nonsense like that. Uh, no, no, I I I do think like Singleton maintains a lot of energy in this movie it is kind of like just pleasant to watch a bright summer miami movie like especially the first movie is so much like dingy dark la backstreets right there's something cool just about the change of color palette the time we're recording this the eternals trailer just came out this week and when the internet's talking about the muddiness and the murkiness of marvel movies and how washed out everything is the lack of colors and this movie like even when you get out of that opening race sequence it's still like man like the sky is so blue in this movie like the trees are so green tejia's mechanic shop is like walking into like discovery zone yeah. Everything is like bright blocked colors. It fucking ro- everything looks great in this movie. And it's got like camera movements and wide shots. It's not like all done in like claustrophobic coverage, you yeah. know? Like yeah. even the dialogue scenes like have a sense of like scale and scope and energy to them. I mean, you'll have things like 
you know, the singleton touches, but there's the sequence, I guess, when they're trying out the new cars, I think it is. I don't remember if it's that or when it's if it's when Cole Hauser has them like do the trial run for them. But that sequence where they like run through the middle of like the town and there's the dude crossing the street. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And you're like watching the people on the porch, watching the cars go by. And you're sort of like regrounding the community in which they're intercepting. Yeah. <laughs> like that stuff is fun. The movie just kind of like becomes a bummer when it has to get back to the plot because it's such a fucking <laughs> generic like procedural cop episode. It's just paint by numbers. That's the thing. You could juice it up a little bit more and it would be better. And instead it's like, does James Remar want to pull the plug? No. Yeah. Okay, and on with the next scene. You know, like yeah, right. there's just nothing there. Like they they get in each other's face a little bit. Like Remar is mad that Tyrese shoots at them in that, but like, but then it's like papered over immediately. Then it's like, well, whatever. The stakes ostensibly are, you know, will Tyrese and uh, uh, Paul Walker mend their relationship, right? Which I feel like they do and they don't too quickly. Like, after the first fight, then it sort of becomes like every other scene they're getting along well or they're a little testy. Right. It doesn't feel like there's an arc of him gradually winning his trust again. Then it you definitely get should scene. have more bromance. I can't believe how, Absolutely. Like, there's not yeah. a moment it where... Should have more. There's not a moment where one of them or the other does something like... I mean, I guess... We do have uh, Roman showing up and and saving uh, Paul Walker out of in yes. that fist fight, but there definitely could have been a couple of moments where you think he's going to turn on Roman or rat Roman out, like some kind of like give us some s- sort of fucking relationship drama. Let's see him. I, I like do. we had that with Toretto and Brian. I'm like you're obviously yes. trying to make it again. It's like add a little drums. Yeah, I I do find it interesting. I remember when this movie came out, so much of the dialogue was about like, this is the most homoerotic like guys movie since Top Gun. And Singleton interviews talked about what an influence Top Gun was for him on this. And people were like, and Tyrese is so jacked and there's so much. Oh, his body is amazing when he. When he fucking breaks that window, I was like, who? <laughs> like, He's he just randomly guy. takes his shirt yeah. off, wraps it around his hand, and blasts that. that- I, like, I like that. because then, And then Paul Walker's like, hey, you could just open the door Paul Walker style. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is how I open car doors. I, I watch these movies over and over again, and I don't know how he does it, but no one has ever worn a blank t-shirt as well as Paul Walker does. <laughs> yes. Like anytime Paul Walker puts on a t-shirt with nothing on, I'm like, fuck, why does that look so good? Where where where's the hell out of it? You know? Oh, dude. It's the same way that he drives these little like Toyotas and these little Mitsubishi, these tiny little cars, and he does make them kind of cool. Like the little roadster things he got. You know, like they're they're cool. That's the thing. Like he does not give a good acting performance in this movie, but he undeniably works as a movie star. Like yeah. he's just a compelling yeah, guy to watch. Yeah. You don't he makes honestly cool. he doesn't need to act in these movies. No. And he like no. and he doesn't. And but the movie is still yeah, right. and he's he still yeah. value added. <laughs> yes, he's he's got a certain integrity, but it is like the balance of the thing, you know, where it's like uh you you feel it after Walker dies in real life that like there's a piece that they cannot recapture of the yin and yeah. yang of Brian and Dom. You know, and like, I do think F9 is helped by adding Mia back into the equation, but there's something just about those two guys together that was just like magical. 
uh, and Brian on his own or Brian running lead with a guy who's like kind of beholden to him. I mean, that's another thing is that the first movie is so much Brian trying to impress Dom. It yeah. really feels like he has a friend crush on this guy, you know? And this one, it's like Brian trying to keep Roman in line, but also hoping Roman forgives him. I do think the big scene where Roman sort of says like, hey, I watched that first movie. I heard you let the other guy get away. (laughs) I think that scene's played pretty well, but it also is a scene that kind of breaks the reality of the movie because it's like, you heard about that? What do you (laughs) mean? In what, the papers? Like, yeah, yeah, what the hell? You were in jail and then you were working at a demolition derby and someone told you, hey, you know that guy who was your friend who was a cop who didn't rat you out, but you always thought he did rat you out and you've held it against him just because you feel like he picked a side, even though you now conclusively know that it wasn't his fault, he let another guy go. Like, who would relay that to him? I, it's a, These are all fair questions. Look, the, the, the world of Too Fast, Too Furious is complicated. I was going to say, though, that... I I feel like there was so much dialogue about this movie being homoerotic and sort of the tension between the two Mm. of them and the weird, like, energy of Roman seeming jealous of when Brian is spending time with Eva Mendes. And now watching the movie today, it just doesn't even register, I think. like I This movie's very chill on that front. Right. And I feel like the the Fast and Furious movies have become about men look each other in the eyes and being like, I love you. I would die for you. (laughs) Yeah. And also being gigantic and shirtless. Right. And, you know, just these crazy, like, statues come to life. Yeah. Now this just, this movie just feels very grounded and tactile, which is a ludicrous thing to say about it. Yes. And it's probably (laughs) just an example of how every single movie movie now is just yeah. like freaking chocolate frosted bombs that yes. we just like rah, 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 you know like mo- you know it's like forced into our mouths as we watch them and we're like i love this i feel insane yeah. and then we leave the movie theater we're like ah you know like, that's just <laughs> what blockbusters are now because too fast too furious feels pretty chill yeah and pretty human and realistic yeah pretty grounded and that's <laughs> absurd that's an absurd right. stylishly statement. directed <laughs> right um yes. uh which at the time everyone uh, uh you know dinged it for uh, being over directed uh i chose to mention this movie's written by michael brandt and Derek Hass. uh uh yep. gary scott thompson who is like the architect of the fast and furious franchise gets a story credit on it but they have sole screenplay credit they're the guys who among other things later go on to create the entire dick wolf chicago franchise they're they're the chicago guys right chicago they, they, they MD, get chicago money from MD. every chicago all of yes. them yeah they also did uh the three ten to they yuma did three ten to yuma they Love did that uh, movie. uh Love wanted that movie. Good movie. but like they also made they made a movie called overdrive that looks like such a shitty fast and furious ripoff with scott Eastwood, who later goes on to be replacement Paul Walker in a failed attempt at one movie. Yeah. Um, but but yes, this feels like the plot line from a Dick Wolf show, stretched out, over-directed by like a guy who really wants to prove that he can make like a blockbuster film and two movie stars who want to prove themselves, and it ends up sort of being a dead end for everybody. It's but it's charming in that try-hardness yes. now. But at the time, it pro- it you know the vibe was a little more like oh god, everyone's trying too hard. Like yeah, and and you're also, not going to convince me, guys. The yeah. trying too hard now matches with the later Fast and Furious movies, not because they're trying too hard, but because they become so huge that they're operating at the same level of kind of uh, fever pitch. 
Yes. Weird movie. Uh, Paul Walker wears a West Coast Choppers uh, shirt in this, and you're like, oh my God, the early 2000s, the fucking West uh. Coast Choppers reality show is so fucking big. And he... He's dressed like everyone in my every white kid in my high school dressed like with like the long shorts, he, the ch- like air walks, and like he a- is Amber Crombie, like <laughs> yeah, like he like defined right, like more than almost anyone yeah. else. Paul Walker. Um, uh, we let's um, play the box office game, Griffin. Unless, I, I, like, well, we, unless there's anything else, we right. were saying this over text. I do think we should say it on mic a little bit. Slight oh, Devin, Devin Aoki, Aoki. sidebar. Because she was a big part of the marketing campaign of this movie. She's all over the poster. She's not in it a lot, but she is just so striking. And she also is charming in this. I think she's charming in this. Yeah. I know, obviously, she was a model, you know, and that was how she, that you know, she had been a model for years. She's a very striking model. So it's not like she's being cast for to do meaty stuff. And like the way she's used in this and in Debs and in Sin City, which was like that sort of brief Devin Aoki boom in the mid 2000s. Yeah, right. Sin City, she's like silent badass. And this in Debs, she's like fun. She's funny. She's Uh, good. I I enjoy her. She's good. And I, I, I looked her up. It looks like she just retired. Yeah. To like, she had like a bunch of kids and she's like, I'm a mom now. Her dad. Is Hiroki Aoki is the is the founder of Benihana? Rocky Aoki, who was an Olympic yeah, Rocky level. Aoki, right, yeah. That's I mean that's his nickname that he goes by now. Right. Yeah. Olympic level wrestler. Yep. Yep. Who then founded uh, Benihana? Her and her brother DJ Devin Aoki are the heirs to the Benihana fortune. Of course, people who are wildly successful in life are also heirs to yes. insane right. fortunes. She doesn't need to do anything, but then she also got a modeling fortune and a right. movie fortune. And then also like married a billionaire. I think this guy she married mm. with kids is also insanely wealthy and successful. Uh, and they asked her to do the Sin City sequel. She said no. Jamie Chung plays her part in the sequel. She hadn't done anything in like years, it felt like. Then they announced that she was going to be on season three of Arrow. And then playing, like uh, Katana playing yes. Katana. And then a week later, they were like, never mind, she's not doing it. And they cast the woman from The Wolverine. Ryla Fukushima, right. Yeah, yeah. The, the Wolverine. Who's, I like her. She's, she's great she's good. in uh, The Wolverine. And, and that was the end. The last movie Devin Aoki was in was 2009. It's Rosencrantz yep. and Guildenstern are undead. Oh, boy. Yeah, I, I'm not even sure if we can count that one. <laughs> Let's see. The last non-VOD movie she was in was War. Yeah. The uh, Jet Li, Jason Statham oh, uh, right. martial arts movie. And she yep. was in DOA, right? Yep, Dead or Alive. I have not seen it, no. I, I have to admit. she's Her husband or her partner or whatever, Bailey, is the Bailey of Barnum and Bailey. Like, that's where... Yeah, see, it's like two fucking... <laughs> I mean, whatever, man. Yeah. She travels in rarefied air, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Oh, she's <laughs> the special. The other thing I wanted to know about her, apparently she didn't have a driver's license. Yes. Uh, so she took lessons to be in this movie. This is like basically the first time she's ever driven a car is yeah. in Too Fast, Too Furious. That's how fancy she is. All right, so just parallel park. Right. You did a great job in the parallel park. Okay, now we're going to drive towards this drawbridge here. And if you will punch it, they're going to raise the bridge up. This if is the last uh, part of your driver's test. Uh, Nas button <laughs> now. Okay, now let's see how you use Nas on the highway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, oh boy. If I have one strike against Singleton in this movie, it's he loves the sped up Nas footage. Like oh, he, he yeah. took that from one and was like, I can bet you I could do some wild fucking hyperdrive shit. The thing where like the view outside their windows becomes like all smudged. Yeah. yeah. It looks like they did a whip it basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like, do you think it's possible like the hunt, the producers are like, look, you can do whatever you want, but you better have three separate Nas sequences. Yeah. Like, you know, we uh, Nas tested off the charts for us. Where You better load this movie Nas with it. was like a big breakout in the first They were selling the Nas energy drinks and shit. Nitrogen, um, exactly. the, Nitrogen the Element uh, is a big fucking behind-the-scenes sponsor of three. Yes. I, I, they yes. were like, yeah, yeah. they were yes. worried about rehashing their image. Everyone thinks they're just inert gas. And it's like, no, we got to show them that you can go <laughs> NO2 and go, or N2O, N2O and go fucking ham. Um, can I read one thing quickly before we do the box office game, David? Yep. Uh, our, our friend, past and future guest, Bill Gobiri, wrote a very good piece for Vulture when Singleton died in 2019. And it was his piece making the case for poetic justice and Too Fast, Too Furious, which he argued were the two sort of undersung movies in uh, Singleton's filmography. Right, this sort of like, look beyond Boys of the Hood, this guy actually made a lot of yeah. good movies. Right, And and this is, I think, a, a good point. I, I'm just not even going to try to put it in my own words. I'm just going to say exactly what Bilga said because he crystallized something that I never would have come to on my own. But I think he is very right about he's talking about how uh, too fast too furious is the movie that even fast and furious fans don't really like right and he says but i've always had a soft spot for it in part because beneath all of its pop gloss too fast too furious reveals something essential about singleton's artistry for all its sun-drenched candy-colored aesthetic the film's world is steeped in mistrust every character has an axe to grind Singleton takes the aggressive one-note conflicts of the action genre and builds whole networks of resentment out of them. This lends the picture a weird authenticity despite the general dopiness of the plot. None of the actors feel like they're posturing. You really are waiting for every scene to break out in violence. This is a testament both to Singleton's vision and to his incredible facility with actors. He gets them all to commit. I, th- I think that is true and well said. Hell yeah. Love that. Uh, well, if Bill if Bilga happens to be listening, I'm also a diehard Black Hat fan, and you made me rewatch it just talking about Hell it. Hell yeah! So I just uh, right. to communicate via blank check to Bilga. Thank you for turning me on to the man and getting to read his writing, but also fellow Black Hatter over here. A tip of the Black Hat to <laughs> Bilga. <laughs> well, and this movie made. In its opening weekend, Griffin, I'm trying to do the math. 50? About six Black Hats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did fifty million dollars. <laughs> Huge. Huge, huge opening weekend. Like this was uh, movies did not open that big very often at this point in time. No, I remember it being kind of a mind blowing number. This is June sixth, two thousand three, and it's knocking off one of the biggest hits of the year. Griffin, what's Finding Nemo? Yeah. Right. So I you guess just it already. Because you've got this, this ice no, cold. Yeah, this is you the know thing. This. this A, this is one of those periods that I, it burned into my brain. But the other thing is, I just remember vividly that everyone was like, well, The Matrix is the biggest movie of the year. It's impossible. Matrix is the most anticipated right. thing. The Matrix sequel is going to be like the fucking Phantom Menace. And then right. uh, Nemo ended up being the highest grossing film. And obviously. Uh, well, we'll get well, number three. Griffin mm-hmm. is a comedy. Uh, Finding Nemo has made 140 million dollars in Jeez. two weeks. Just FYI, yeah, it's huge. Huge. Funny, Finding Nemo was the highest grossing Pixar movie until animated film. A- animated film. It was period. the highest grossing animated film until yep. Incredibles two. 
or maybe, t- I can't remember if Toy Story I mean, three. It might be Incredibles. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but you know, it, I remember it knocked off the Lion King. It was the yeah. biggest animated film ever. Uh, number three, it's a comedy. Oh, Shrek two toppled. I'm stupid. I'm a fucking idiot. Oh yeah, Shrek two. Right. Yeah. yeah. Number three is a comedy. Uh, okay. Yep. Movie star comedy. Huge hit. Number three is a huge Co- hit. Colossal. Colossal. Hit. Oh, is it Bruce Almighty? Yeah. Yeah. That right. This um, is talking about how big the box office was, David. Yes. Matrix has its big opening in May. Finding Nemo opens to 70. Bruce Almighty opens to 70. Fast and Furious opens to 50. Like, by the first week of June, you've had, like, five movies open over $50 million. Oh, Jesus. This is, what, this is just a classic box office game where it's just hit, hit, yeah, hit. This was, like, the last great American blockbuster summer. <laughs> number Because number three is a movie that is not the kind of hit that these others were mm-hmm. but was sort of as a little bit of a sleeper a mm. fun action caper movie big ensemble hmm. uh it's a director who oh, eventually made a fast and furious it's yeah. the italian job yeah it sleeps its way to a hundred million dollars exactly with Wahlberg Fuck. and norton and charlie's and uh most deaf who all jason statham right that's how good the summer of 2003 was that that Italian job was just simmering. Pe- like I remember that came out and people were like, "Why do they remake the Italian job with like Americans? Like this stinks." And then the people saw it and were like, "Eh, it's kind of fun." Yeah, if it wasn't called the Italian job, it was just called like Italy heist. You'd be like, "This movie was fucking cool." Like, <laughs> yeah. But because you have to compare it to like Michael Caine's performance, you're like, oh, right, "I don't know." Right. Yeah. But I like the Italian job remake for sure. Fun. It's a fun. Movie. Man, 2003 was my. Right before my senior, that summer was the summer before my senior year of college, too. So I was like really coming into myself and loving movies. And I'm remembering this. I was a little beach lifeguard, bartender a couple nights a week. But this was a great, I saw a, a lot of these movies in the theater. And oh, three was a killer summer. Yeah. Oh, that was a, let's keep going. Sorry, David. Oh, no. Number five is Griffin already mentioned it. The it's the movie everyone thought would be. Yeah, it's The Matrix Reloaded, It, which was a huge hit. Massive. Obviously. It was like a big R-rated hit. Yeah. Um, but, God, uh, I have yeah. not watched Reloaded or Revolutions. I've only seen them once both. Oh, I was in the boy. theater. Oh, good, John. Good oh, David is movies. trying to end mm. this episode, and you've just baited him so fucking hard. <laughs> uh, well, this is like... I, I baited him on purpose because I'm kind of want to be talked into watching them. <laughs> well, um, uh, this is the year I would say, right? right. With a, with a matrix four coming, this is mm-hmm. the year to dip back into them. I, you know, just text me while you're watching them and I, and I, I, I can help I will. Uh, or, or just come over, just <laughs> yeah. come over. I'll do and, both. And I'll give you some rants. All right, yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, Griff, I just want to shout out number six is daddy daycare. A film I think you've seen many times. Correct? I, it was my sister's favorite movie for many years. I probably conservatively have seen it 25 times. I argue that movie right. is funny, but I don't know if it's just Stockholm. She's Syndrome. still campaigning <laughs> for Nancy Myers to remake it. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, y- you got number seven is X-Men 2, another 2003 yeah. huge blockbuster. Right, another movie that uh, opens to like $70 million. The best X-Men movie. Unquestionably. Still. Yes, without a doubt. Talk about right. movie opening. Not even close. One of the best openings to a movie ever, that Nightcrawler yeah. White great, House sequence. Is great, like great opening. Fucking yes. rules. And talk about big hits directed by sex criminals. Uh, n- number the, eight, you've got wrong. <laughs> number eight. <laughs> yes, yeah. Wrong turn. Wrong turn. Wrong turn. With Eliza Dushku. 
Remember that one? Yes. They took a wrong turn. It's yes. kind of like uh, cannibals, or yeah, it's like it, a hillbilly, you know, like sort of hills have eyes. Is thing, that the right? one that J.J. Abrams wrote, or is Joyride the one that he wrote? Joyride is the one. That, that's a good movie. Joyride's yeah. good with Paul that's Walker, also right? Paul Walker, yeah. yeah. Paul Walker. There's Paul. a there's a wrong turn coming out this year too. Uh, it, what are they? Is it eight? How many are there now? I think it's a remake. It seems like I never mm, saw the original. It is. Yeah, that's crazy. Huh. Huh. Wow. Weird. Okay. Yeah. Like a, another Appalachian horror movie. Huh. Okay. Uh, number nine is The In-Laws. Which one is that, Griff? Oh, that's the fucking remake of the great movie with... It's uh, My- Michael Douglas? Yes. So the original is... And Albert Brooks. Right. Jesus. Yeah. The original is fucking Peter Falk and Alan Arkin and is like quietly yeah. one of the best American comedies ever great made. Movie. And then they did a big budget remake with Michael Douglas and... Uh, uh, Albert Brooks, but also Candace Bergen and Ryan Reynolds. Bucket, Buckets Bergen. Yeah. yeah, Ryan Reynolds is yeah. one of the... Yeah, there you go. Huge, huge bomb. Uh, and number 10 is one of the sleeper, huge sleeper hits of the year, mm. Bend It Like Beckham, which oh, yeah. was like one of those crazy, oh, yeah. hung around at the box office for like months, charming people type, yeah. you know, you know, like, you know, open to nothing and just kind of slowly built. It, 2003, look, I was 17 years old. It was a great time. Yeah. Is probably the best we ever had. I yeah, I don't know. I do think of that as like, was that the last time I was happy? <laughs> <laughs> Whale Rider is opening this week. I saw that and I remember seeing that in theaters. Yeah, good movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, no, there's a lot of shit going on in in 2003, and uh, and you forget that. Like, I just read that book, uh, greatest movie year ever, about 1999, where like, yeah. and like, I'm yeah, like, yeah. and you're just like, holy shit! Like, you forget with time and then when someone reminds you like my favorite thing is like you know what movie won the oscar that year and you're like oh what were the and when someone lists the other nominees you're like right oh my god those all came out the same year they're all yes. distinct Amen. memories i love right i love shit like this where you're like oh my god oh three was when i saw all these movies that was a crazy something well, like that's that- the thing with 2003 is that like it's not that it's like like 1999 in terms of like general quality of movies, but it right. feels like a humongous year for movie culture. There were so many big hits, but also like it was a year where there were so many indie breakouts too. Like you had so many things like Whale Rider mm-hmm. and Beckham, uh, Be- Beckham, Beckham sure like kind of coming out of nowhere and making like $20 million and lingering for a while. The the 2000s are just are a good time. You know, yeah. that's 2003. Some other movies. Master and Commander. Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. Hulk by Angley. By my Lost favorite. in Translation. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. You know, yeah. City of God. Right. Can't, you know, there's, there's, there's right. Just, Return there's of the King is shit. the highest grossing film of the year and wins Best Picture and does the ultimate victory lap. Yeah, it was just a, a School of Rock. Hey, School of Rock is Elf. 2003. 28 Days Later. Fuck. Elf. Something's got to give. Remember when there used to be like $30 million star-driven comedies for families that were also funny, that were like actually funny? Yeah. Now they're all date nights, game nights, and tags. (laughs) 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 Three movies I would kill to be in, but those are like what I think of when I think of modern comedies now. And I'm just like, ugh. Everything's either a night or a tag. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> tag oh, fuck. tag oh, is based on a true story all right we're done we're done we're but done. we're done uh will we do i guess we'll do justin lynn someday i don't know 
I'm trying to think of like, will we ever do a? Well, we could do F. Gary Gray Griffey. We've had him on. We could the. Uh, on the, bracket the March Madness. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, you know. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. I mean, Lynn, it's like, look, I obviously would love to do episodes in all the Lynn Fast and Furious movies, but thinking about this podcast, his filmography would be more interesting if he had made more non Fast and Furious movies. Yeah, right. right. It's it like, is, yeah. Why would we do Justin Lynn rather than just do all the Fast and Furious movies on Patreon is kind of the argument. Yeah. That makes more sense than a Justin Lin series. Right. What, what's his early, what was his big, po- like, Better Luck community? Tomorrow, oh, Better Luck which tomorrow, rolls, yeah. right. Then he does Annapolis. Then he does Tokyo Drift. And then he's pretty much been on the Fast and Furious train other than Star Trek Tokyo Beyond. Star Trek. And he does the finishing the game, which is kind of an interesting movie, which is his comedy about trying to finish uh, a game of death after Bruce Lee dies. Oh, I never saw that. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Never saw that either. Yeah. Uh Gabrus, thank you so much for for being here on You're the welcome. show. Uh always one of our favorite guests, but nice to finally be able to cross the streams and have you talk fast and furious on this show. Right. Please. I was I would have been ecstatic to be here for abduction, even more pumped to be here for too fast, too furious. Well, and let's also say like this episode is now sort of a promise of the high and mighty F9 episode. Hell yeah. Uh, subscribe soon. to Action Boys. On Patreon? Yes, please. Yeah, if you have uh, Patreon money, get on blank checks. But if you have like two Patreon money and you're like, mm. I already listened to one podcast where <laughs> dudes talk about movies for way too long. Yell well, about I, them. I got another one. And <laughs> yeah. it's all, it's even more narrow in that it's just classic action movies from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I don't know who it's for, but it definitely has some overlap with people who this podcast is for. So at le- this is the one podcast I feel comfortable promoting Action Boys on where I'm like, you might actually like super extended movie conversations where we break it down scene by scene and take longer than the runtime of every movie. Not a co- not a positive, but not, might, maybe uh, for you. <laughs> catnip for our listeners. Um, and, and to our listeners, I say, thank you for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media Thank you to Alex Barron and AJ McKeon for editing assistance. I also want to thank Lane Montgomery for our theme song. Uh, I want to thank JJ Birch for research. And, and Nick Loriano. Yep. And, yes. I want to tell people to go to blankies.red.com for some real nerdy shit. Go to patreon.com slash Blank Check for Blank Check special features where we talk about franchise and are doing commentaries on the Twilight movies and thus unifying the two Taylor Lautner threads on our two <laughs> streams. You will summon him. He will, will appear. Yeah, that'll be the way it'll work out by the time you reach that, what they call the, the Lautner nexus. You'll just have summoned him at that point. It's thrilling. We're not quite there yet. No. Got time. No. We have four brothers to get to first. <laughs> That's right. And then we'll get abducted. Um, but, uh, yes, uh, tune in for that next week for brothers. And as always, I mean, it's not appropriate for this movie, but I'm going to say it. You can have any drink you want in this podcast as long as it's Corona. <laughs> Very good. No one drinks any Coronas in this movie. I know there are none. I know this is the one with zero Coronas, but I still think it's the right thing to say. 